When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We are back together. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and we are here. I know some other podcasts, have you looked at other podcasts? They're like looking ahead already. We are doing a final burial of the Ohio State 2019 football season at the suggestion of Kevin Schrodinger. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Kevin, who sent me a message on Facebook and suggested that we come to his funeral home and do this, and I'm terrible at logistics, so we're just in the office. But we are going to put this season to rest and... Have it be a celebration, but also uh, a time of mourning. And it, this is Kevin's suggestion. He did. He says they did. They're the funeral home that did Earl Bruce's, uh, Earl Bruce's funeral and Woody Hayes's funeral. So he said, I thought that the community might need a time to gather and support one another after a loss like that. Would you have any interest in doing a live podcast at the funeral home? Sorry, that didn't work out. Um, the purpose of a funeral is to take the focus off the hurt and pain that occurs at the time of death and refocus on the entire life that was lived in a setting where you are surrounded by others feeling that same pain. So we're not surrounded. We're just three knuckleheads around the table. But I hope you can feel the Buckeye Talk community with you as you listen to this. Um, so he thinks it would be a fun and cathartic, right? Cathartic. We like that fun on Buckeye Talk. We are seldom cathartic. Maybe we can be cathartic today. So before, you know, we're going to get into depth, projected depth chart podcast down the line. We're going to talk about recruiting down the line. But we want to do one final reset. Do you think, gentlemen, that we can provide a cathartic experience for our loyal Buckeye Talk audience? Oh, I hope so. Um, and it's, it's interesting because like even up until I haven't noticed it the last couple of days, but up until like through the weekend, people were still arguing and responding and t- tweeting at each other back and forth in response to tweets I had sent immediately after the game. So this was not an, I mean, the, the period of mourning maybe for some people is sort of just beginning this week, you know, a, a week and a half after the game ended, um, because the, the pain of it was just so, 
palpable for them and and so intense that that, that they were still kind of living in the moment of of the game for for so long afterwards. I think they're going to still be in pain until a champion is ground on Monday. I oh, think, I think it could intensify after Monday, especially depending on who. Well, yeah, depending I mean, on if who Clemson wins, wins. Yeah, then it's going to be a this was our national championship, or like if both teams look like eh. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Like neither defense is as good as Ohio State's defense. Like there are ways to look at it. If Burrow and Lawrence both throw nine touchdown passes, yeah. they'll be like, "Well, Ohio State defense wouldn't let them do that." Or if they're both off a little bit, and it's like, "Well, Justin Fields, what you know?" Like, yeah. I, I think it might be one of those. And and we, none of us were around uh, for this, but the the loyal Ohio State fans who have been uh, around for decades and decades and decades. Um, 2002, they hadn't won a national championship in 34 years. They went from 1968 to 2002, and then they go from 2002 to 2014. That is a much shorter time to mm-hmm. wait. Um, I mean, I think 2002, you don't, I'm not sure you wipe away the, the could have been championship until you get the next championships. That, you know, mm-hmm. I think 2002 right. certainly helped all the times mm-hmm. the Cooper teams were good enough to win and didn't win. I'm not sure that you wiped away 69 until 2002. Yeah, maybe. Right? Yeah. That like yeah. all the, so I don't know, you know, this is going to be like Earl, as, as we all know now, is like you start reflecting before we had what ifs. Now we have, we know what happened. You know, that Earl Bruce in his first season had an undefeated team that was number one and lost in the Rose Bowl and Earl Bruce never won a national championship. That was Earl Bruce's best shot. It didn't happen. Until Ryan Day, until, and it's not about Ryan Day, but this new era, until they win a championship in this era, I'm not sure this goes away. I will say though that it's a little bit difficult to make that comparison just because the dynamics have shifted so much in the past 40 years of college football. Ohio State's going to have more chances to win a national championship in some ways or, or to win it directly. You know what I mean? Like before it was always this kind of vague thing. And if, if four teams into the season undefeated, with right. 11 and 0 records, 10 0 records, whatever it was at that point. Um, now I think they're going to be in an era where we've already seen it. I mean, three out of the last six years, they've been in the playoff. If they can keep that sort of pace up, they're just going to have more opportunities to end the drought. I don't think it's going to have as many like long lingerances where you don't even have an opportunity. Yeah. I think this one only hurts for a lot, for these reasons. Like if everybody's career kind of pans out the way that like it looks like it's going to pan out and 30 years from now, some like 16 year old kid is just messing around on the internet and pulls up this Ohio state team and sees Chase Young, Justin Fields, check it out. What do you mean this team didn't win a national title? That's where I think it's going to burn is when, if these guys go on to be whatever they, all their hopes and dreams. And then you, you look back and think all of this was on run one roster that didn't win a national title. That's when I think it's going to burn the most. By the way, lingerance is definitely not a word. I'm not sure. I got, no, I got, okay. I got four minutes into 2020 and started using words that don't exist. I think the one thing that will be a little bit different though is it'd be one thing if Ohio State had lost that game to Oklahoma or a team that was clearly not as good. I think one thing that the, the, that same kid's going to look back and say, "Oh, who did that team lose to?" Oh, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, yeah. Travis Etienne, yeah. Isaiah Simmons, like other guys who probably went on to very successful careers beyond college football. So I, I think that's going to temper that a little bit. The the part of it is too. I mean, as you look at eras, and again, you just, the championship just affects how you view everything. So it's hard. But like when you think about the great groups, the great rosters, mm-hmm. right in Ohio State history, the Super Softs. They got their championship. The disappointment there was not repeating in 69. The Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott 
Buckeyes, they got their championship in 14. The yeah. disappointment was not repeating in 15, not being a little mini dynasty. Now, certainly, again, those Cooper teams, all those great teams, Terry Glenn or David Boston or Orlando Pace, like you can run through all the great Eddie George, mm-hmm. the great players of the 90s under Cooper who never won a championship. That's certainly disappointing. You know, this group, this 17 group, this 17 class that was, when it came in, arguably the greatest recruiting class in Ohio State history, on the level of the Super Softs and the 2013 class with Bosa and Elliott, that's what Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and J.K. Dobbins were, Mm -hmm. and they didn't get one. Like, they didn't, it's not that they didn't repeat, they didn't get one at all. And so, again, that's... You know, you'll look back again. I mean, I'm sure there's a class, in the, a particular class in the 90s where you'd say, oh, man, that group. Or that Archie Griffin. Archie Griffin didn't get a ring. Doesn't have a national championship ring. And as close, those Woody years in the 70s, they were right there constantly. And, like, they didn't get one between, you know, 60. Now they have some of the, there's a one in 70 that's kind of like a yeah. weird one or whatever that they count that's not really counted. But, um like, there's, there are other regrets. These aren't the first group of great Ohio State players that will have a regret about not getting a ring. But, man, at your point, Stephen, of, like, when you look back. Woo! I, well, but I think, so right now, the way this season ended, this past season ended, doesn't this, I think it colors the way you might look at the 2018 class more than it colors the way you look at the 2017 class. Because I think you look at the 2017, you see all the indiv- there's not much more Chase Young could have done. All the individual accolades he achieved this year. J.K. Dobbins, um, uh, Jeff Okuda, Sean Wade. I don't know what any more individually any of those guys could have done. I think it's where maybe you look at what areas is in 2018 and some of those guys having not arrived yet right now as maybe making the difference in a game like the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, it's one of those things, but it's, I mean, it's about the collective. It's that about you had the best defensive player in the country who won every individual defensive award, was a Heisman finalist. Yeah, but, but, had, but Isaiah Simmons uh, wasn't that far below no, that level. No, like, I mean, there, there, there's, you get, it's, there's two times. Isaiah tenure. Simmons, did he get a Heisman vote? No, but, but what I'm saying is they have equalizing guys at some of these positions that they may not be that level, but they're not that far off, really, in terms but of I don't think the way they affect people, the game. I mean, it's, uh, when you, Chase Young is arguably the best Ohio State defensive player of the X. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. And they had a 2,000-year-old running back, and they had Justin Fields, top 10 who was a top-five Heisman guy. Yeah. And they had, like, they had, they had a guy, Jeff Okuda might be a top-five pick. Like, they had so many individual stars. Um, there's no question who, about... Who, like, we thought were going to be stars. That's who, who what, delivered. That's what it is. Right, it's right. like, like as great as Isaiah Simmons and Travis Etienne, those are three-star guys who popped. There's, right. a, there's the starters don't matter argument for the people who want to make that. But, like, we thought Chase was going to be really good. And it's, it's, not <laughs> that, it's not that the individual people didn't achieve their... didn't reach their potential... Like, I, I, obviously, what more could Chase Young have done? What more could J.K. Dobbins have done? What more? But th- that collective, with all these guys who were individually great and reached their potential, yeah. didn't even it make the national enough. championship game. I, I, this makes me want to look at it. Um, probably should have looked at it before the podcast. But we'll go back and look at it. I mean, I, I saw somebody tweet, like, in the last 20 years, maybe if you would even go back to, like, Bowl championship era or what the bowl alliance before that, since they really first started having a national championship game, right? 
that this Ohio State team, now, again, it's in the context of there were three excellent teams this year, but that this Ohio State team might be the best, maybe with 2004 Auburn, which again was the undefeated team that finished number three in an era where only two teams made a national championship game. This Ohio State team may be, with that team, as good as any team that didn't make a national championship game since we started prioritizing a national championship game. And part of that is context. If you have three great teams, someone's going to be left out. Maybe if Ohio State would have won, people might be making the exact same argument about Clemson. Mm-hmm. But that, that is ju- that is just a reality. They happen to be awesome at a time. And, and actually, the issue is not, the funny part of this is the issue is not Clemson. Clemson's great. Yeah. The issue is LSU. The issue is that Ohio State handed, not like, it's not a mistake by Ohio State. They handed a program, a player who changed football in a state. It was the reason that they, that Ohio State was not the number one seed. Literally. And the reason that Ohio State was not playing Oklahoma and was playing Clemson instead. And the reason why Ohio State player did not win the highest trophy. I mean, the Ironically. reason... The, I mean, that's that's probably, the of all the bad luck that's happened in, to Ohio like, State at the Fiesta Bowl, you actually have to go back a, a year earlier. Yeah. That's the bad luck. It's like you ch- he said, hey, we're going to choose this quarterback who's going to break some records over you. Well, two years, I guess. Sorry, not two And then, like, the trade-off. It, and we're also going to get, like, the number two recruit from the cl- in the 2018 class. We're going to trade you for both of those two options. But then also, you're going to take the Heisman away from our player, and you're going to take a chance to win it. Win that's like, if Joe Burrow and... and so, Either you play like Joe Burrow doesn't exist, or like Joe Burrow goes to Cincinnati, which was another school he was yeah. considering, right? Or it's you know LSU that and them they're them getting the Saints offensive coordinator. Yeah, it's that combination of things happening at the same time that lifted that took a program that was fine. They're like Penn State. That took a Penn State a level good, program and made yeah. them the number one team in the country yes, based on one guy. Yes, they have other good players. And again, when you research it, if you go back and I, and I did this before the Fiesta Bowl, um, for a story that's dead because they're not playing LSU, but like you look <laughs> at like, I think it's the, I think it's the class of 2017, as good as Ohio State's class is. I think Ohio State on its current roster has eight. Top 100 guys from 2017 because Tate Martell and Trayvon Grimes are no longer on this roster. LSU also has eight. Clemson has like three. Right. So like LSU did recruit great, but LSU was nowhere close to this. So the idea that Ohio State, as much as like it's bad luck, Ohio State sort of had the good luck of hitting a peak when Alabama hit a drop. Yeah. So Alabama has bad injury luck with two up, but also with Dylan Moses, a couple different things, right? But as Bama drops, LSU's like, here we are. And in a world where Joe Burrow isn't their quarterback, it just would have been, and it's normal. How many awesome, unbeaten, ridiculously good teams typically are there in a year? Often it's only one. Sometimes it's two. If it would have been a showdown of, of Ohio State and Clemson from like week four, you would have been like, these teams are on a collision course and that's it. Alabama doesn't have it this year. There's nobody else. Yeah. It's Ohio State and Clemson. That would have been normal. Well, and we thought, but that, that is how we thought it was going to be early this year. I think in week four, you would have asked around. People would have said, oh, LSU and Ohio State, they're on the collision course. And Clemson figured some things out. But, and even then, like, it, like if Ohio State doesn't, like, fall on its face for the whole first half of the Big Ten championship game, 
Well, then Ohio State and Clemson are still on that collision course to play Maybe. the national championship game. You mean like, LSU? Yeah, e- either but, way. But the club. So yeah, right. Yeah, because right. I mean, but, that, but the point is that like you can't if you're going to be Ohio State in this era, you knew. You were going to have to go through Clemson and Alabama to get there. Yeah. So maybe it's not like maybe it's there's two super teams. You're trying to break into that. We've had that discussion already. Mm-hmm. You've got to beat the king to beat it to be the king, right? And it just so happens that one of those kings has a down year, but there's somebody right there to step into the breach, and that's why it becomes a three team race instead of a two team race. But I will say this though, we talked about this before though. There, if you look back, it is kind of like. There is sort of that triumvirate that we've been talking about, and then that fourth team that always kind of comes up. So really, it was more just LSU taking Alabama's spot than it was. Yeah. No, you're right. That that it's because the Oklahoma, whoever, Oklahoma, Georgia, whoever, that fourth team is always kind of there, and it never ends up really amounting. I guess Georgia did make a championship game, but I mean, it, it's there's always that three, and then the fourth one. Uh, it is kind of maybe foolhardy to be like, oh. Let's have Ohio State be good, and nobody from the SEC is in the title match. <laughs> right. It's like, well, is right. that really re- realistic? Right. And, and it's also, I mean, the, the bad luck of, lo- of losing Joe Burrow we've all, to LSU is offset by the, the great luck of gaining Justin Fields and having to be immediately eligible. I mean, that's right. still, none of this happens if none of this. So basically, this is Ryan Day's fault because he's too good of a quarterback developer. I mean, it's, it's... Well, again, it wasn't, I don't know that that, it, it goes well before the development. It goes to the fact that, that guy becomes available and then can play for you immediately. Right, but like the the, the running joke for Ohio State fans is the fact that like this is still their guy. Oh, you're talking about with Burrow. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Burrow. yeah. I mean, but the the hard thing again, and 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 I think every Ohio State fan now, um, obviously they're going to watch the national well, yeah. championship game and, and, and root for, for Joe Burrow. Burrow. And I don't think I mean I, I don't know that there's I have not I have honestly not seen like a single Ohio State fan bemoan Joe Burrow's success at all. Now, maybe it's a little different equation because, like, when they were all celebrating Joe Burrow, Ohio State and Joe Burrow were on the same level. Right. Now Joe Burrow is a step past Ohio State. So maybe there He's might be too good for Ohio 5% State. of Ohio State people who are like, that's stinking dude. I can't believe, you know. <laughs> the guy who well, wasn't good enough for Ohio State is now too good for Ohio State. Well, and as I just said, the narrative around Columbia, around Buckeye Nation would have been very, very different if Justin Fields had not been immediately eligible this year because they would have been watching Joe Burrow go win a Heisman Trophy while yeah. who knows who was Tossing the ball around for yeah. Ohio State, so for a nine and three team. So I do think, probably. Um, I do think. I mean, it's still okay to to celebrate that success. But the point of like the quarterback development again to watch the guy that we're going to watch on Monday night. I mean, again, it's just he's not the guy that left Ohio State. I mean, he was good when he left Ohio State. But he wasn't even that guy at LSU. I mean, it's a lot of credit no. to LSU and Joe Brady for developing. Joe Burrow even further for creating the offense for him. It's one of those things, and I don't know that I've heard it as much. And I think it's—I don't like this discussion. Sometimes I think it takes credit away from a quarterback. But I mean, if if you would say so, both in the in the NFL and in college football this season, there was a absolute breakout quarterback star, kind of not completely unexpectedly, but that the guy. All of a sudden, made a jump from good to unbelievable, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson. Yeah. It feels like with Lamar, people are more. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but people you hear a lot of talk of like the Ravens built the right offense around around Lamar. They it's like Lamar is a freaking he's a freak of nature monster. 
Like, like nobody is like I mean, nobody is like that guy. Literally, the new Michael but, Vick. But I think <laughs> it is. I think it is a very similar conversation of Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson are sort of, as it turns out, in their own way, very rare dudes who do things that like a lot of other guys, most other guys, maybe no other guys can do, and both of their teams put things in place to maximize their rare abilities. And I just think it's like you you have to give Joe Brady and LSU and with what they brought out of Joe Burrow, just like Greg Roman and and John Harbaugh in Baltimore brought some things out of Lamar, but you got to have the things there first Mm -hmm. to be brought out. Joe Burrow a year ago was not this. Joe Burrow at Ohio State was not quite this. And then they made everything possible around him for him to have the opportunity to showcase this unbelievable accuracy and an ability to like know where to go with the ball and be shifty enough in the pocket to get out of trouble and make a throw. And it's a perfect, I think both the Ravens and LSU, who are both, who are the two favorites, right? At this point to win it all are combinations of good coaching that maximizes rare quarterback talent in different ways but i mean it's it's beautiful man when it happens it like takes your breath away almost i mean bro bro wasn't a heisman trophy guy yet but when what was he third year at ohio state and he's having a legitimate competition with Dwayne Haskins for, for sure. so I mean that that says something I mean there was something there it was just I think it, it, it's one of those things where opportunity has to match has to meet up with the talent sometimes that never happens uh, and that's the thing sometimes yeah. sometimes it never happens so like when it when it does um, you really want to give like a lot of credit to everybody involved so um, all right let's get to some comments and questions as we go through this. The tech subscribers, for those who have asked, we've lost about 5% of the tech subscribers since the national championship game, which is not a shock. Maybe some people came for a ride on the 14-day free trial, which is great. Still a very good number of tech subscribers, and we appreciate you guys for following along. We're going to keep doing that. We're going to expand it in some ways a little bit. We'll keep you guys posted on that. But certainly... In season, there's a million things going on. Off season, there's not as much going on, but there's also not quite as much coverage everywhere. So if you want to have like a daily dose of Ohio State stuff in your phone in the off season, when maybe you're not being bombarded with it on every website, every national website, every newscast or whatever, it's not on ESPN, we'll give it to you in your phone for, you know, like a buck a week. Like a little, hey, I still like this team even in the offseason. I wonder what's up. Maybe it's like a interesting little observation. Maybe it's a nugget of news. Maybe it's a little trivia. Maybe it's some fun stuff. A buck a week for a team in the offseason. I still, it's a different kind of value. Um, but I think it's, I think it's still worth it for the people who really care about this team. Okay. Oh, uh, let's see. I wanted to start with this from the 614. I'm definitely, so this was like, how are you feeling like a week after the game? I'm definitely still hurting a bit from the loss, but somehow I feel more, all caps, confident in the future of the program at large. With that being said, my question involves something you've always pointed out about Urban's record in close games. You used to say that Ohio State may simply be due for a game where the ball didn't quite bounce their way. Do you believe that's what happened in the Fiesta Bowl, or where, or were there more tangible missteps by Ryan Day that made that lead... Um, made them put them in a position to lose a close game like that. So again, my thing at the beginning of the year with my incredibly incorrect 9 and 3 prediction was like get used to them losing games where they play well. 
It's like, I think everybody, I mean, I think if you ask a lot of people who was the best team on that field, I think Ohio State gets a lot of votes and they didn't win. So does that, I hadn't necessarily thought of it in those terms, and we'll get to the second, the first part of the question second, but does that feel like that at all? Like they played well, they certainly didn't play perfect, but the ball bounced their way. Sometimes the ball bounces against you. Is that perhaps, and again, if, if you try to point out in Ohio State recent history, when you only lose nine times in seven years, it's hard to point out. And a lot of times, as we've said, Purdue, blowout. Iowa, blowout. Oklahoma, blowout. Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl three years ago, blowout. A lot of the time when they do lose, they sort of like clearly lose. They do not play very many close games where they lose. This was that. Is this just the bounce of the ball? Yeah, and I think, you know, as I reflected on that game, I was reflecting, I don't want to make this answer too long, but reflecting after the game, talking to guys in that locker room and, like, talking to Jordan Fuller, talking to Pete Werner and just this, like, blank look on their – and they – those are two guys who are pretty good talkers usually, and they couldn't really communicate what was happening at that point. And I think it was because they knew – a lot of people in the locker room knew they had won the balance of that game but didn't win the game. And I think it, it as I rewatched that game, it kind of emphasized some of the things that we were saying after that in, – in the postgame pod – in the middle of the night in uh, Arizona or uh, early morning, um, that for whatever reason, when Ohio State dominated that game early on, the score didn't reflect maybe how much they had dominated, and it just the, the margin for error shrunk as the game went on, and I it just you know um, then when the ball doesn't bounce your way, the consequences are, are graver. I, um, it, it was a, Ohio State played well enough to win that game in a lot of ways, but but so did Clemson. I think what it comes down to is any 50-50 opportunity, there are like 10 or 11 of them in the game. None of them, if one of those goes Ohio State's way, then like Ohio State's playing on Monday night. But also Ohio State didn't get a lucky bounce or the ball didn't bounce Ohio State's way, but it also didn't help its case either for a lot of those reasons in right. the first half where, yeah, like you just said, they dominated that game. If you were just watching that game without ever looking at a box score up at the scoreboard, if you were just watching football, you would think, Ohio State's up 28 to nothing, 35. You would think they were up by a lot more than what they actually were because they didn't capitalize with some of those opportunities early on. So, no, nothing, no, no, the football god didn't help Ohio State, but Ohio State didn't help itself either. So, like, for these 2017 guys, right, um, they finish that that class like Okuda and Chase and yeah. Dobbins, the guys who were only here for three years. They finish their careers thirty-eight and four. Pretty good. Yeah, thirty-eight I, and four. Yeah, and and the three previous losses are thirty-one sixteen to Baker Mayfield. They got Baker Mayfield at home. The Iowa blowout and the Purdue blowout. So again, they have never in their final game they experienced something they never experienced before. Which is losing a close game, playing like the Baker Mayfield game. It was close, like at halftime and stuff. But it's like they never oh, really Baker made Mayfield, a play. Yeah, and then Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, and it was like okay, like Oklahoma was better. Ohio State was home, but like Oklahoma was better. And then Iowa and Purdue it was like okay, like Nick Bosa got kicked out and whatever. They missed some red zone stuff early against Purdue, but it was like well, you lost by thirty. Like it wasn't like there for the taking. You could go back in those games and say, well, there's one play early and maybe it changes the momentum. You lost by 30. This is new. 
This is, but but also like this is what normal football is. Yeah. This is what happens to regular teams all the time. So how do you define that class, right? Because like obviously like for the like there's another like that class is going to be seniors next year, but like the bulk of this class is gone. So like after going through that rundown of their losses, like how do you define this 2017? Like, well, I think in a lot of ways this is the season that they have more quote-unquote ownership of than maybe the first two when you're just freshmen and sophomores or, or or red shirts and then red shirt freshmen. Um, so and I think what people would look back, if you told people coming in, if you told Ohio State fans coming in, these guys are going to put are going to have a 38-4 and four record over their first three years, considering, again, that maybe they wouldn't have that much input in that first year, I think people would take that to some extent. I think they would have been disappointed that all they got out of it was one playoff game and it was a semifinal loss. I think that's what will ultimately be decided. And I think yeah. the players themselves will look back and say, that's not what they came to Ohio State to do. You come here with a different level of expectation on yourself that you're going to get more opportunities than that to win a national championship. I just think, like, I've, yeah, that's, I think, a, a great way to put it. I just think there's a very pessimistic way you can look at it where you go, well, they had two bad losses that left them out of the playoff. And then when they got there, they just weren't good enough to get over the hump. I, I think Which they is, look at. It. I think they will look at it that way. Yeah. And I, I, if you were to go ask those players, and it, it's not that they. I mean, they have a lot to be proud of. They accomplished a lot as college football players. Uh, they're all really those guys that we've talked about are great college football players. I don't think they necessarily have a lot to regret about the the careers that they've had. But I think they will say that that there were opportunities that were missed, or that they maybe on a couple occasions as a as a program during their time there. The program didn't put itself in position to kind of finish the job. I think you would have said, and maybe we said it. I can't remember exactly. I think you maybe would have said when they came in as the number two class in the country. they were going to win a national championship. If they don't win a national championship, it's a disappointment. Yeah. Which is why I asked that. Because it's like, if to that exact statement, they never even played in the national championship game. Let alone won one. They never got to that Monday. However, I will say, as good as, sorry, Dana, but as good as one class might be, I still don't know if just one class is supposed to carry a whole program to a national championship game. And I think it's, again, no, it's interesting when you look at 2018 well, also being so highly ranked and correct. not helping lift they're, the whole program to not, where I want to go. But, like, okay, so their junior year is the year where, like, you win the national championship or at least play in the game. And, like, we're not, like, as to the point, they're going to look back on that and go, we had all that. We didn't even play in a national so, championship. So again, to the point again, it's like, yes, you're not one class doesn't do it. Except when you look at Ohio State history, the Super Softs are a thing. That was one class. They dominated that team. That was you know right, and they wanted the sophomores, the Bosa, Elliott, Von Bell, Darren yeah. Lee, Eli Apple class. That's JT Barrett. That's one class. They want. I did think, because I wrote all the stuff comparing the 2017 class to the Super Softs and the 2013 class, mm-hmm. I wrote all the stuff comparing them to that before their sophomore years, before 2018, because both those classes had done it in their sophomore years. And then actually, those guys as sophomores, Dobbins was split in time with Weber, wasn't obviously wasn't great. Okuda was good. He wasn't like awesome until the end of the year. You know, Nick Bosa goes out. Chase doesn't all of a sudden take over and dominate. He's dealing with high ankle sprains. He shows the flashes, but it's never really like... You know, Josh Myers is not starting. Wyatt Davis doesn't start until the end of the year. Mm -hmm. These guys, part of it is as sophomores, they didn't do... They were not dominant 
it took them till year three to really come together. And so, and the 2018 class, as it turns out, like is the exact same way. When you look at some of the guys in 2018, Teron Vincent and Tyreek Johnson and Taraja Mitchell and some of these guys, I mean, those guys didn't do anything this year. Right. Teron Vincent was hurt the whole time. Taraja Mitchell had some injury stuff and just like didn't get on the field with the linebackers in front of him. They did not hit that window of 17 peaking with great support from 18 when they're both the number two classes in the country and you thought that might have happened this year. Um, and it kind of didn't, but also they weren't really short. You know, like, that's the thing, too, of, like, as we address 70,000 things on this podcast, I, I really do think, like, we're going to get into specific depth chart stuff down the road. So this is, I think, more just, like, big picture stuff. But in the end, even as we say, maybe the 2018 guys didn't provide a lift or whatever, like, were they, in the end, were they short anywhere? Like, when you watch Clemson no. game, like, if you said, oh, if they would have got... If they would have been better at this position group, or if they would have been better in this part of the game, that would have gotten them over the top. If only they could have had... Is yeah, there if, something like that? If you watch that game and you're like, oh, Clemson really just exploited that thing that had been nagging as a problem all year. The, the players in the locker room, I think, talked a little bit along those lines of like, you know, we knew that there were some issues. And they had said some things like that down the stretch. And I... I I understand. I guess I see where they're coming from, but no, I I, I don't feel like that. I, I don't feel like this was a team that had deficiency. I think one thing that we have maybe forgotten, and I, I would encourage fans to, as much as you're emotionally tied in, try to think of it this way. When we talked before about teams, the '69 team not winning a national championship, it's because again, it's a different format. You you lost a game, you don't even get to play for the national championship. And as I said in the early morning hours after the festival, this is kind of how it's supposed to happen. There's supposed to be four really good teams that play. And when you get to that stage and you're playing a team as good as Clemson, sometimes even if you're really great, you don't win the game. And you would say the same thing to Clemson if Ohio State had won. Because Clemson would be talking about all the talent that they had and couldn't win the game and get to the national championship. So that it's a different kind of... It, not winning a national championship this year is, I think... I look at it even differently than the team not being in a position to win one the previous two years because those teams didn't even give themselves a chance, really, to win a national championship. They were kind of on the fringe of the conversation. This year, they were clearly one of the best teams. They got there, and then sometimes you don't win that game. So how, how would you characterize, in your mind, the disappointment of losing to Clemson in the playoff versus losing to Purdue or losing to Iowa in the regular season, which... He, which takes away the chance to even make the playoff. What's more disappointing? I think the Clemson loss is worse. Really? Because, yeah. I, I disagree because I don't why, I don't look why at do losing. You, I, why do you think why do you think that? I I agree with you Nathan. Why do you think that? Because you walk away from those other two seasons knowing you did not deserve to be there and you can point to exactly why you did not deserve to be there. You did not get the job done. You didn't get the job. You you lost to teams you should not have lost to. You know that. Like, you can look, like, there's no excuse of it. You lost to teams you should not have lost to. This team took care of business all season. Like, we had their moment, oh, this might be their Purdue or their Iowa week, so they need to watch out. No, they took care of business and they got there. They had the best defense in the country. They had two Heisman finalists. They had, this is probably one of the best teams who never won a national championship in Ohio State history. And it wasn't good enough at the end of the day. It wasn't good enough. That's why I think it stings more because you did everything you were supposed to do and you didn't get a job. I guess because there's one of them is like it's sort of the difference of like what stings more versus like 
what is more, I don't know, like st- when you say the word sting, then I sort of agree with you. It's yeah. like, yeah, that, but I think you go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that I look at, I don't look at losing this Fiesta Bowl to Clemson as a failure on Ohio State's part. They got on a field against another really good team. Some things went their way, some things didn't. They lost a close game that was right there down to the last play of the game. I look at Ohio State losing to Purdue and Iowa the way it lost to them as failures. They got on a field against teams that they were better than. And as, as we, we talked about, there were dynamics there that made Ohio, Iowa and Purdue more dangerous than the records would indicate. But those are still teams that Ohio State's not supposed to get trucked by. And they got flattened by both of them on, the, on those days. Ten times out of ten, that's not going to happen. Maybe it only happens one times out of ten, but it happened in a dramatic way. I look at those as as failures because those teams didn't even give themselves a chance then to do what this team did, which was lose a really close game with a potential but, national championship. But when you line. lose games like that, like in a world like where sports is all what ifs, like it's all, you know, it leaves the fan as a, it, it leaves an opportunity to go. When you look at a, a playoff landscape and go, Oh, if we were in there, we would have done X, Y, and Z. While with this one, you can't do that. Well, you, that got, but, you got there, which is why I think, which is why I think losing to Iowa and Purdue is worse because you have the lingering what if. What if what if we had gotten to the playoff? What would we have done? At least this time you got there. You know you were but good you enough. Can, you, can, you were good enough. You just yeah, did exactly. But you can right. put you when you do what ifs, it's always gonna be in your benefit. Oh, we would have done this. Like it's always gonna be like, well, there's no there's there's no way around this. Ur- Urban Meyer said when I was in his office in September. Um, he talked about, boy, what a great way to go out in 2018, right? That, oh, yeah. that you go to the Rose Bowl. He had never been to the Rose Bowl. You finished number three in the country. Boy, it's hard to have any regrets about that. What a great season. But there was a tiny but. But you would have liked to have... One more swing in the playoffs and he, to see what would happen. And he probably also thinks that like they could have done better than Oklahoma. And I just, and I just think but. it's one of those like, would you rather? I guess I'd rather take my swing. I, would you rather take your swing and like have the refs take it from you, or be on the outside of the ring oh, being like, listen. oh man, I wish I was in that ring right now. Well, right. I'd rather at least be in the ring. They got in the it ring. Does, this that doesn't year. mean it doesn't sting worse. No, when it, you get I, in there and what you've been preaching for two years now, if we get in, we're going to take our shot and we're going to do exactly what we did last time. And you get in there, you take your swing and it's but, not okay. Good so so let me so let let me frame it this way: If these seventeen guys, Okuda and Dobbins and Young. We're turning pro right now, and Ohio State had lost to Wisconsin in the regular season and finished fifth in the playoff. That's failure. But would they feel worse right now, or would they – like, I think that would be – we'd be sitting here saying, oh, my God, they, they never even made the, even made the right. playoff. I think it's no comparison. I yeah. think this is much better than that. The sting of like, oh my god, we were better than Clemson and the ref screwed us. That stings, but I think there would be a gaping what-if chasm in the center of their chest for the rest of their lives. We had all that talent. We never even made it. We don't even know what we would have done. That would have almost, I think that would have been almost impossible to live with, with yeah. the talent on this team. This is, cause this you can say, as, me, as much as they made mistakes, and they did, 
You can walk away from this, and maybe it's an excuse. The refs. You can. You can. As you go forward for the next sixty years, yeah. you will not be saying, "Man, it's almost like well, you know the what? person that." It's it's why I, I mean my 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 teenage daughter is going through this right now, and she had a boy that she liked, and we were. Oh, I'm sure she loves that you're about to bring yeah. this up on Buckeye Talk. I always think like Bill Simmons is all like, my kid's crazy and I'm a terrible parent. Let's tell a story. And I'm like, is this child abuse? So we were very much encouraging her to like ask this boy out, right? And it's like you every movie ever made is, oh, I liked you in high school, but I never did anything. And then it's like at the class reunion 25 years later, they're like, oh, I liked you too. Why didn't you do anything? You have to shoot your shot. Wouldn't you'd rather ask somebody out and get shot down than never do it and wonder for the rest of your life, which is like what we told her a thousand times, and then she asked the guy out and now they're boyfriend and girlfriend. But even if he had said no, I'm really glad that story had a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I, no. I, I, the way this was going, I definitely thought she was. She asked him out. He rejected her. She has to come out of her bedroom. Yeah, that's where I thought this was headed. But like that idea, I feel like it's like Ohio State got rejected by the playoff, right? They finally were like, okay, playoff? Can we be in the national championship game? And the playoff was like, I'm sorry, we're going to review these two plays. The answer is no. As opposed to like they never even got the chance to ask the but playoff. But in this situation... I'd rather get shot down. I think this, As someone who's been shot now, down. I will say that this story lives longer, for sure. Like, this is the 30 for 30 now. And like when well, Chase Young is bald and Justin Fields, when talk, Chase Young is bald, I don't, yeah, I don't know. He's going to be old. Chase, bald. that was Stephen Green <laughs> yeah. who questioned your future. No, listen, he's out in LA at Laker games. Nobody's <laughs> worried about him anymore. When they're older and they come back, they're all going to show their bitterness. When you show the clip of Sean Wade getting ejected, and when you show that play of Justin Ross fumbling, not fumbling, I guarantee you that is going to be. One of their like, uh, this is going to sting forever. Moments for so, the rest. But is of that my life. better or worse than coming back and saying, "Man, I can't believe we never made the playoff." I think I'd rather be. It might be equal. I guess if I'm using the the, the the dating relationship thing, I would look at it more as the first two years is when they got rejected by the playoff because they were trying to. And they uh, found out the girlfriend, the girl was not. No, no, no. Dumped to me. No, they 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 were they were not your daughter. They were someone. Less appealing than your daughter taking a shot at someone maybe out of their league and being rejected, saying, no, you have these blemishes, I can't go out with you. This year, the playoff accepted them, and it just didn't work out. It's just a failed relationship. They did go out. Okay. okay. Oh, and then she went to the bathroom (laughs) twice. And says, "Eh, I'm going. I'm going out this the window." This is yeah. This is a visceral yeah. experience, it's right? No, I'm just, Steven, Steven, I'm trying, Steven has this. I'm experience. just trying to like compare where these reviews come in. This is Steven's point. Is this time the playoff <laughs> said it would go on a date with Ohio State and then crawled out the bathroom window. Yep. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, they went is. out. They went out. They tried. It just didn't work out. It just did. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they went out for twenty-one didn't days. Go out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was going good in the first half. That was question one of 173. <laughs> but let me get to the This podcast second will just part. last until <laughs> spring football. The second part of question one of 173. I'm so, I somehow feel more confident in the future of the program at large. So let me say, let's take this 
as a whole, because I think part of what we're doing here is we're not just we're burying, as Kevin and the, the funeral home director at the beginning said, it's not just the loss, it's the totality of the season. So you're trying to appreciate the good, deal with the bad, take it all. Um, so it's not just the Clemson loss, but how does this season that ended with this loss make you feel about the future of this program under Ryan Day? Uh, well, futures, a, are you talking about immediate future or distant future? Both. Because- ne- next year and, like, the idea of, like, is Ohio State going to continue to be competitive and eventually win a national championship and keep on trucking with the Urban Meyer stuff? Like, it, do you feel good I guess I w- football? There's no reason to think that Ohio State can't continue to be what it has been through the first six years of the playoff, which is a team that's plausibly in that conversation every single year. The years it doesn't make it, it's <coughs> typically right there on the fringe of making it. Um, and that one of those years, like I was, like I've said before, it, it's more just about getting there every year and giving yourselves a chance. Look at Clemson this year, which wasn't necessarily dominant from game one through game 13 going into the, the playoff, it had struggles early on, um, could have very conceivably lost that North Carolina game, but still kind of figures things out to an elite level over the course of a season and then becomes what it ultimately is, a team that was good enough to beat Ohio State, which I don't think it was all season. Um, so I, I, there's, I'm, I'm don't have any reason to believe that Ohio State can't stay in that position. I think there are obviously some key positions that it has to figure out. You're not always going to have a Justin Fields fall in your lap and be immediately eligible. You're not always going to be able to get a 2017 class that has Young and Okuda together to to be these these sort of um these these two kind of just key places at, at different parts of your defense, just sort of kind of generational talents at those positions. I don't think you're always going <coughs> to be able to find that no matter, even though you're going to try and and Ohio State will always recruit well. So it it really does kind of come down to to player acquisition and player development. That still remains to be seen somewhat because we're very early in the Ryan Day process for that. The immediate future is bright. I mean, Justin Phillips is going to be a Heisman candidate again next year and it's probably the leader as far as going into the season next year. The offense is going to be amazing. Well, the defense might take a little bit of a step back. It might not be as ridiculously historic as it was this year, but I mean, it'll find its way eventually. We'll see. I mean, whoever the, the co-defensive coordinator is, we still don't know who that is. But the offense is going to be amazing next year. I think where the uncertainty is is after that. Like we're going to yeah. really find out what type of quarterback developer Ryan Day is with either C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, or Jack Miller, whoever ends up winning that draw job. We're going to really find out what type of wide receiver developer Brian Hartline is when you look at the guys in this class along with Jaden in the, in the 2021 class. You're going to really start to see, like, obviously Larry Johnson is going to continue to develop guys. I don't, you're not going to see another Chase Young, but he's still going to develop NFL level defensive linemen. You're going to see, really get to see what type of developer at linebacker Al Washington is as he starts to recruit guys and get, and get some of these younger guys on the field. And whoever ends up being that secondary coach, you're going to see what he can develop, you know, as kind of a the guy after Halfley. So we're going to really get to see who can develop who after Justin Fields and Chris Olat and those guys are no longer here where this 2020 class, which is top three in the country, if they can develop those guys, that's where I think you'll see like if there's any, that's where the uncertainty is right now as far as their development. I will say the thing that maybe gives you the most confidence after watching the 2019 season and what the, even the immediate future might be is that, as much as we were just talking about how 2017 and 18 kind of feel like failures because you can give yourself a chance, I also don't know that you look at those teams and think, 
if they had just lost a little bit cleaner to Purdue or Iowa and made the national champion, especially at 2018, and made the playoffs, that they could have maybe done something, because I still think those teams did have some real deficiencies. And in 2019, they fixed so many of them, especially on defense. And I think that they have to do it again next year. And it wasn't just schematic what they did this year. A lot of it was just developing those players into being better players, putting them in a better position, just kind of with a, a, a general philosophy more than like how you line them up in some ways. And I think they've got to do that now on this. We'll talk more about that when we get to the depth drive, but they're, they have some things they have to figure out next year. But having shown specifically that they did that once already, that's what maybe gives me some confidence that they will find some angle to do that with again this offseason. The the one thing in this, I mean, it makes me feel like a crazy person and I, and it's probably wrong. <clears throat> and I've lived through it enough and I've told enough stories about it um, that I feel like I shouldn't feel this way. But everybody, there's always, a, there's always the next guy at Ohio State. There always mm-hmm. is. But part of me, <laughs> part of me watching that game again was like, are we sure there's a next Jeff Okuda? Are we sure there's a next well, Chase Young? Are we sure there's a next J.K. Dobbins? Like, man, there were some, like, singular dudes out there, and I, they didn't get over the top. And, wow, how do you replace that? And it's not the – like, Sean Wade's really good, but Jeff Okuda had Damon Arnett on Sean Wade with him, and so right. Sean Wade's back, which is great, but also, like, wow, Jeff Okuda plus all the – like – Chase Young, I want to get into this a little more specifically because I don't think this, this isn't anything that would take away from the death chart conversation. But Chase Young is Chase Young. J.K. Dobbins is J.K. Dobbins. They absolutely, there's no way they're not going to take some kind of step back at those positions. And so there were some guys on this team that were so good. Jeff Okuda was as good as any corner I've seen here. They peaked at a lot. Like, Marshawn Lattimore was awesome. Maybe Marshawn Lattimore was as good. Jeff Okuda, nobody was better than him. Chase Young, nobody was better than Chase Young. The way J.K. ran this year, and they've had great backs here. Ezekiel Elliott is kind of next level what he did in the playoff in 14. J.K., over the course of a whole season, the way they leaned on him, J.K. is awesome. Like, Malik Harrison is, like, really good. Like, it's just like... Wow, there were some guys here that I think it's going to be hard to replace those they guys. They peaked on a lot of different positions where, like, you've seen it over the, like, like you, Marshawn Lattimore, Malik Hooker, all those, like, uh, Bradley Roby. You've seen Denzel Ward. You've seen great defensive backs come out of here. Nick, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Taquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes. You've seen great defensive ends come out of here. Zeke Elliott. Mike Weber was like a thousand yard running back as a freshman. You've seen good running backs come out of here. But eventually everything peaks. Every, every, eventually you gotta have the best you've ever coached. That's your, and I don't know if Larry Johnson, as great as Larry Johnson is, I don't know if he's ever gonna like get that again. I think he'll get NFL guys, but he's not going to get that again. I don't know if Jeff Halfley's ever going to coach a guy like Jeff Okuda again as long as he's at the college level. And that, like, everything peaks. And they had a lot of positions that, like, Ohio State has been known for over the past decade peak on the same team. And yet they still didn't play in a national championship yeah, game. That's, and that's, like, that's hard. That's hard. Like, they're really good this year. Like, oh and, and because of that, if someone said to you right now that they thought the 2020 ceiling – was the twenty what the twenty eighteen team was? 
could I mean, wouldn't that be a very reasonable expectation right now that it's going to be a phenomenal so, offense? It sets passing records, but there's enough flaws on defense that it holds them back because of a loss during a regular season or whatever. The no, one game, I think, the Oregon game is where. Well, like, but it's also comes, and that's this is maybe looking too far in the future, but like I think that Oregon game would be so much better suited if it had happened this year. Well, the one thing is. Sometimes, and as we've seen before, like an Oregon loss, I don't know that a loss at Oregon in week two like no, knocks them out of the national. But I think sure. that's their that's I just think that's their one loss because of like that's their second game of the season. It's their first re- okay. It's their first real game of the season. They're gonna they're gonna blow Bowling Green off the floor. Just, I think that's the game where like Ryan Day and Justin Fields sit down in their hotel on Friday night. And he goes, listen. Who's Oregon's quarterback? Yeah, I, I don't know that. I, I mean, know. like, I don't know how good Oregon. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how good Oregon is. Lineman, I just know that, like, there's a lot of things that have to develop over the course of the season next year, and Justin Fields is going to be like the surefire thing that early in the season to where that's the game. Ryan Diggles, listen, just like go be you. I don't know. I think unless, that team. I think that team can win a shootout against a team like Oregon. Unless they can. I will say also that losing in week two on the road to what is, I think, by most people considered to be a top 10, yeah. 12 yeah, yeah. program, I just think that's would long. not capsize your playoff chances. And the other thing is, like, you never know what the heck these guys are going to do. That's In true. 2016, they were, like, the youngest team in the country, and they went to Oklahoma and won yeah. with, like... Guys who had never played. That 16 is going to be a very interesting comparison for this team as well. Like, I agree. Like, super-duper offense with questions on defense mm-hmm. makes it a comparison to 18. 16 was like, well, JK, JT Barrett has been around. He's the quarterback. We know he's good. And now we're going to put out a bunch of guys on defense that we have no idea. They're talented, but Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore and Sam Hubbard and, like, these guys have never really played before. And then it was like, oh, they're quite good. Yeah. And so, like, I, there's there's two things I want to – It's actually a really good comparison. I want to I look at here. I want to take a break first. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. Two things I want to bring up looking at um, – Recruiting classes. One is, let's start with the 2017 class first. That class had, uh, 21 guys in it. How many of those 21 would you guess are, will be on the roster in 2020? Like, I'm not, it's, it's a certain number of guys have already left. So how many guys currently are still on the team? You said this 2017. There were 21. So it's like Dobbins and Young, and we know those guys are gone. How many of the 21 are left? I'd say, Five. Yeah, like no, nine. No, Thirteen. Really? Which is interesting. Like the 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 cream is gone. Like that's <laughs> so. So let me just. Well, run I, through I forgot. It quick. I guess uh, those offensive linemen who were well, no, retro freshmen. Yeah, yeah, and then two transferred. So Chase Young gone. Jeff Okuda gone. Baron Browning here. Sean Wade here. Wyatt Davis here. Trayvon Grimes transfer. J.K. Dobbins gone. Josh Myers here. Tate Martell transfer, Isaiah Pryor transfer, Haskell Garrett here, Kendall Sheffield NFL already, Brendan White transfer. So like a lot, the guys off the top, like the only ones still here are Garrett, Myers, 
and Dave, Davis, Wade, and Browning, like five of the top 12 or whatever it is. Jalen Harris, Marcus Williamson, Amir Reap, Jerron Cage, Pete Warner, Thayer Munford, Elijah Gardner, Blake Hobiel. So all these other guys, like the bottom nine guys from that class are still here. As great as that class was, it was a little, I mean, it's like, oh, it was top heavy. It's like, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, after the 10 guys in the top 100, it's a lot of it. I mean, everybody's recruiting class is top heavy to some extent. Yeah. Dude. So, they, but like, but they yeah, got it, you goes. know, Thayer Munford's 285 in the country, huge contributor. Pete Warner, 277 in the country, huge contributor. Um, so there is, you know, there's some guys still there that, that made it to their fourth year. Baron Browning, I think, is a very interesting guy to have come back, and we'll get into him more when we deal with the defensive depth chart. I would, I would maybe say that, like, I, I think he might be yes. the most interesting guy yes. on the 2020 defense. So I don't want to go down that road too much. I just wanted to bring that up. 13 of the 21 made it to year four. Now I want to bring up 2018. These guys who we said did not in the moment, in the year two, did not provide a huge amount of stuff. Sometimes I can't think of words anymore, and I just say stuff. To this particular team, now entering year three, 26 guys, 26 guys in the 2018 recruiting class. Of those 26, guess how many made at least somewhat important contributions against Clemson of the 26? One. I'm sorry, which, 2018 or 20? Yeah, 2018. One, and he's second to last as far as the recruiting rankings for that class. No, third, third to, to last. last. Um, if you're not, you're not including Fields in that, then, right? No, not no, Fields, no, no, right? No, no. Right. Um, I mean, if, if you're talking about just offense, defense, yeah, it may just be. It may just be one. He also I mean, he also probably cost them the chance to go to the national championship. It's it's, it's okay. It's it's kind of like four maybe. So it's like again. Well, I guess is, I, I, I forgot like, about the defensive ends. Yeah. So so it's the idea of again all the like potential that is there yeah. of guys that now they're entering year three. I mean year three, as Urban Meyer always said, year two. The first two years are on the coaches. The third year is on you. It's mm-hmm. your time for you to show that you deserve to be on the field. And do something for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Nicholas Petit Frere, nothing really yet. Teron Vincent, hurt this year. Teron Vincent was the number 20 recruit in the country. Mm-hmm. His arm was in a brace uh, all year. Yeah. That guy, like, that guy might be an All-American next year. I don't know. Tyreek Johnson, nothing so far. Jalen Gill, not much so far. Tyreek Smith would be one. Jeremy Ruckert would be two. But they don't. Re- he plays. They yeah. don't really to, use him. To no fault of his but own. But he plays. Yeah. Taraja Mitchell, not really. Tommy Togiai, not really. In the mix, not really, though. Matthew Jones, Josh Proctor played against Clemson. Mm-hmm. Cameron Babb has been hurt. Brian Sneed transferred. Tyler Friday played. Max Ray, no. Blue Smith transferred. Dallas Gant, no. Antoine Jackson, not really. Kayvon Pope, no. Javante John Baptiste, not really. Seven Banks, not really. Master Teague, not really. I mean, was in there for a series, but not really. Cam Brown got the penalty on the block punt, but really, you know, played when Okuda was dinged up for a series, but not really. Matthew Baldwin transfer. Chris Olave. <laughs> Alex Williams, Marcus Hooker. So that's five out of 26 who did anything. And again, like, as you said, you know, Tyreek Smith, you don't want to, like, downplay Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday. They were on the field. They were important. They weren't game changers. Jeremy Ruckert yeah. wasn't a game changer. So, Well, I think guys like them and, and Togia, I think 
you would notice if a player not as good as them was in that rotation too. You know what I'm saying? Like if yeah. there was a lesser player, if they had to use a walk-on, if they had to use someone who wasn't yeah. as good as Tommy Togiai on those rotation, maybe that opens the door for Clemson to so do something. It's I don't like know. when you start looking at stuff, and again, I don't want to jump the the jump ahead on the depth chart stuff. Like if you told me that like Tommy Togiai and Teron Vincent were like the best interior defensive linemen in the Big Ten next year, I don't think I would disagree with that. Like as much as like, oh, they'll lose a Jay Sean Cornell. Um, uh, BB Landers and Davon Hamilton. It's like, could they get better at defensive tackle? Yeah, I think they could. Like, if you tell me that, like, Javante John Baptiste and Tyler Friday and Tyreek Smith, some combination of them, nobody's Chase Young, but they could get, could they all make huge leaps? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you tell me Nicholas Petit Frere, like, gets it all together and murders people as the right tackle next year, is that possible? I think that's possible. Like, there are things here that, like, the, a lot of these, if you tell me, Taraja Mitchell finds a thing and all of a sudden looks like Raekwon McMillan Jr. I think that's possible. You know, there are some things here. Proctor, right? We all see the potential with Proctor. There are some guys here that have not had the opportunity, and Seven Banks and Cam Brown and Tyreek Johnson are all on this list. Yeah. Nothing this year. They're in year three. Do you know what year three corners? Next year, they are going to be... As old as Jeff Okuda was this year. So, like, there is no excuses. Like, they haven't played as much. But Seven Banks and Tyreek Johnson and Cam Brown, the idea that they can find some awesome corners in there who are ready to be awesome, certainly possible. They just haven't shown it. But, well, but they haven't shown it. But, again, this is where we were talking before about talent and opportunity meeting up. One of the reasons they haven't shown it is because Jeff Okuda was in front of them. I don't want to get into why they didn't show it. They haven't shown it. Now, right. part of it is because the 17 class blocked them. Yeah, or, yeah that's or, what or I'm Dave saying. Or Arnett stayed. You know what's interesting? Kind of but yeah. But they haven't. Like, we're going into 18 with a gazillion... I mean, we're going into 2020 with like a gazillion question marks about 18. That's that's a fact. Because the guys haven't played. But there is like some crazy bubbling potential with like 12 yeah, of these guys. I, I basically, when I was doing this 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 depth chart exercise the last couple days, cleveland.com slash OSU... Kind of the, the ultimate takeaway I came with was there's still a lot of stars left on offense. You know that their stars are going to carry this offense. They're already there. They're apparent. They're frontline guys, Justin Fields, the receivers, etc. These two interior offensive linemen. The stars have to emerge on defense. They may be there, but whether or not a true star step up on defense is what's going to determine how good this team is next year. I know the answer is obvious. It's because they had Jeff Okuli, Damon Arnett, Sean Wade, but... I wonder why they didn't rotate the defensive backs more often because I re- I just remember like Jeff Halfley. I think you just answered it. I know, but like, but I just remember like Jeff Halfley's first like press conference and him talking about how confused he was, uh, like in like why does Ohio State rotate his defensive backs as often as it does, and not really getting it until he got here, and then like he must have really not liked the fact that they were like r- rotating that often before he got here because he really just didn't. Those what would you have done? Who are you taking off the field? I mean, that's easy. It's easy to say now. Like, it's easy, it's easy to say that right now when we don't know, like, what those, these guys are developing into. I, 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 you would have been bonkers to take Okuda Wade or, or and he thought that, and he's thought that same, he thought that exact same thought when it came to, like, the Denzel Wards and the Malik Hookers of the world. Of, they didn't Martin. take Malik Hooker off the field. 
I also they think rotated that, Denzel with Lattimore and Conley. They rotated, rotated yeah, okay. three guys. And he thought two that, spots. and he thought that was crazy then of like, why is Conley and Lattimore coming off the field? These are, these are NFL guys. And then like, it was Denzel Ward. And it was like, okay, that's why you're, why is he rotating? Oh, cause Jeff Okun is behind. Like, it was like, and then he just decided he wasn't going to do that because of the reasons he thought before he got here. It's Jeff Okuda. Why would I take him off the field? Which is like, right. yeah, it's Jeff Okuda. Why would you take him off the field? But like, we, we don't know what like these guys behind him are looking. They also, like, I mean, yeah. Ohio State has rotated a lot traditionally. Yeah, I certainly believe why. in if you have a stud. As you watch, they rotated less with Olave later in the year. Yeah, that's they, true. They got some other opportunities for they, Austin Mack at some other yeah, spots. They like, just never even started off on with the like yeah. with the with the wide receiver. They at least tried it. They never from day one even thought about rotating. It I was certainly consistent. think they might be. In a position to be open to rotation. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I, I, obviously, Jeff Okuda is like one of the, probably the best cornerback oh, I've seen in a while. But like, well, I think what you, the, to the sake of like, they never even, the, even early in the year, it was never a thought to even like try to rotate these guys just to see what would happen. Well, number one, if, you, if you're talking about getting them more experience, the, the way the season was progressing was getting a lot of those guys a lot of experience anyway, because that's true. The, the Banks and Brown could come in and play by the third quarter and play a lot of snaps. Um, the number two thing, though, I think what you just alluded to is it could be huge next year if you can get because I think it, let's say you let's say you take Amir Reap and and maybe he's Sean Wade. Well, I don't want to get too far. I, I don't want to go too but, far. But down I think this if, road. if they can get if they can get if they can get Banks and Brown and Johnson to be a three man rotation at two cornerback spots and and because all three of them are playing at that level, I think that's huge. I think that that would be very interesting. Yeah. Sean Wade doesn't come off the field, yeah. and you have a mix and match with the other guys. Part of it also too is I think when you play press man, no matter what. And you're turning and running That's and sprinting with guys on go routes. Guy. Yeah. That wears you out more and you need to come off the field a little bit. If sometimes you're dropping into a zone and you're breaking on a ball and you're covering an area, I think it's, you don't need, uh, to come yeah. off the field as much. Okay. Question two. <laughs> we did it, guys. <laughs> 90 minutes in. From the 614, I can't, I still can't even watch the clips. There were so many missed opportunities and horrific calls. That the 10 second clip makes me ill. Such a wasted chance and it largely feels stolen by the officials and not earned by Clemson. That's from the 614. I, that is going to be not the singular overriding thought. That is not, that person is not the only Ohio State person who is thinking. What are the five biggest moments from that game? As from, from that perspective. I mean, the fumble, the targeting. The, the, like, that's what the officials did. I think yeah. the block punt, which is on Ohio State for taking that risk. Um, the JK Drobbins drop on the screen. Yeah. And, um, the Olave thing at the end. Breaking off the route. I would switch out the Dobbins screen for the touchdown catch that he actually, like, yeah. just cause either like, one that's, of those. That's, that's, like, we don't know. Like, he could have gotten caught down at the other, the other one, he's in the end he's zone. He's in the end zone. Fields should have put more loft on that yeah. ball. He didn't have to throw it as flat as he did. Yeah. But, but the other one, JK, at least there, Clemson was interrupting it and making that happen yeah. a little but bit. But it's the fact that it's already in the – there's no, like, extra, like, okay, now he's got to run. He's, it, that, he's there. That catch – JK did all he could on the catch, and he didn't catch yeah. it. Yeah. The ball could have had a little more – he, he could have underhanded it to JK, got it over that defensive end, yeah. and he would have had all day to catch it. The screen – I mean, the screen's right there. And yeah. he has – they have three blockers on two defenders, and, like, it's over. So, but – but um, I and I went through this a little bit on the last one. I said the ten plays, whatever. I, I want to ask you guys about this. Aggression is Ryan Day's 
way of doing things. He has talked about it. He wants his players to play aggressive. He wants his teams to act aggressively. Um, the punt block, and, and I have to go back and look. I don't, I could be a hundred percent wrong. I don't know if that Cam Brown was constantly trying to block punts this year. Like Olave and Brown both got in on the punt block. Olave did not really rough the guy and Olave got his hands out. Cam Brown runs in as hard as he can to block the punt. Does not put out his hands. Yeah. Does not extend his arms. Is never in a position to block it. I, I had a couple freeze frames where I did. It's like, there are some freeze frames that'll kill you too. On the ATN, on the ETN screen, Baron Browning grabs him by mm-hmm. the jersey mm-hmm. and his jersey is stretched out. And it's like, if he can bring him down there, he doesn't score a touchdown on it's that the, screen. The, him, and then the one where like him and Jordan Fuller hold hands and <laughs> go skipping down, down the lane before like ETN runs in for a touchdown. Which their one? first, their first touchdown, like oh. Jordan Fuller's there. Oh, and you like, know, it got stiff-armed. In, yeah, in literally the they're holding hands. And then they you know, I looked at that. I mean, you looked at that. There were six guys who had a shot yeah. to block Travis, to tackle Travis Etienne there. And, like, none of them were really All-Americans. Like, it's one of those things. As, they, as much talent as Ohio State has, that was, like, Tyler Friday and Amir Reap and yeah. Jordan Fuller trying to tack- tackle Travis the Etienne. Back in um, but there was one. Chase Young was, like, a quarter inch away from knocking the ball out of Lawrence's hands yeah. on the throw that led to the fumble incompletion mm-hmm. ruling that it was almost like a swat and a pick. Like he was right there. There are a few um, like, but he's there. If you freeze frame, I mean, if you, I did freeze frame. It's on my phone. Olave is pretty close to blocking the punt. He's kind of close. Cam Brown is not close to blocking it. Cam Brown, like, ran in there, didn't put his arms out, and ran the punter over. So, like, that Ryan Day afterwards said, like, well, we've done that before. We never had an issue running into the punter before. I felt like in that moment, sort of the way Cam Brown went about it, and trying to remember, and I have not gone back through the previous 13 games and checked every time they tried to block a punt who was doing it, I felt like they put Cam Cam Brown in a tough spot there. That's a second-year guy, and young guys play on special teams. But that, like, within – I'm all for aggression. As I, It's hard to argue against aggression, and you can't, as I said in the last podcast, you can't be for aggression when it works and against aggression when it doesn't work. Ryan Day's aggressive. You don't go 100 for 100 when you're aggressive. It didn't look well executed. That Cam, Cam Brown just didn't, he didn't execute it in a way that's like that guy. Like when you watch Denzel Ward and when Denzel Ward was here and Denzel Ward was trying to block a punt, Denzel Ward looked like he was going to block every punt he ever came after. It's like send that guy after a punt. Heck yeah. Cam Brown didn't look like that to me. So why didn't they know that? They sent a guy who didn't, didn't look comfortable doing it in the moment after a punt. And it was like, well, of course he ran into the punter. I felt that was like a little, as much as like the idea of being aggressive, I felt like they the way they executed that aggression was not particularly smart. Again, I, you would have to, I think, go back and look and see if there was some kind of pattern of that throughout a season. And, and, and off the top of my head, I don't remember that. But I also think it's not he's not a second-year player in his first game. He's a second-year player in his 14th game of the second year. And at some point... You, if you're the, the aggressive mindset had worked for Ohio State all year. At some point, you have to call a play, and the guy has to go execute it. I really put that more on the player that didn't execute that play. I, I put, you know, J.K. Dobbins didn't execute that screen pass. There were many, many other plays where, especially J.K. Dobbins, but even Cam Brown executed this year that helped Ohio State. 
This time he didn't. I mean, sometimes it comes down. Everything we're talking about here just comes back to you're on the field with another great team, which you could not say about. I mean, there was no other team that Ohio State played this year that was anywhere near Clemson's level, and the margin for error is basically non-existent. 864, our guy Tyler Shoemaker. In Clemson country, you'd think they steamrolled us when we shouldn't even have been in Arizona. My thoughts are that despite some calls and bad bounces that went against us, we played well and probably win if not for Dobbins' injury or Olave breaking off the route. I'm proud and encouraged for next year. My brother, a Florida fan, said it will be a rematch next year in the playoff or championship with Wade back. I think we can be right back in a street fight with Clemson again next year. That was another. They, they had a bad series uh, at the end of the first half. And there was some, I thought there was some bad play calling that included the play when J.K. Dobbins got hurt. When he got, you could see his ankle got yeah. hurt on that play. And it was like the offensive line got blown up. Myers and Jonah Jackson were doing some zone blocking and a linebacker came and they weren't, they didn't pick it up the right way. And two guys blew up the play and it's like J.K. Dobbins got his foot torn off. And, and they got on, uh, they got on tilt a little bit, I thought. As dominant, as much as Ohio State at the end of, of the first half. They could uh, feel it. How good they've been in the second half. After Clemson scored um, the second touchdown, no, after they scored the first touchdown, they were on tilt a little bit, I thought, with the play calling. And it was – this is not a question. I want to ask this. What did you – I don't want to repeat all the stuff that I did in the, the podcast the other day, so I won't comment on this. What did you guys take away from Ryan Day from that game? Did it – how did it affect how you view Ryan Day? I mean, it's his first loss, so it's like, well, okay, now he's not perfect anymore. But what did you think? I, again, I, it's it was a scenario we had never seen a Ryan Day coached Ohio State team and being on the field with a team that good. Um, I don't know that I came away. I, I, I didn't I, listening to your podcast last week. I don't really didn't really see a lot of play calling deficiencies, even on those red zone possessions early on. I think there were some other things that there were definitely some bad luck situations in there, guys slipping some other things that happened. Um, I, I don't know that I put this on Ryan day and it, I, I didn't come out of this with a lesser opinion of Ryan day or feeling like his decision-making cost them that game in any way. I think his aggression is why they were in that position in the first place. Yeah. Like, I, like point 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 taken of, of aggression. Yes, it didn't work out on the pump block, but where it did work out, it's fourth and two, and they run. I'm pretty sure that's the exact same play that they ended up running at the end of the game. Same yeah. play, different. I different think different look, formation. But yeah, but, but still that a post yep. for that that has worked for Chris Olave since last year in the Michigan game. Him in a post route equals touchdown every single time, and fourth and two. You don't, you don't give it to the guy who's already got two 60 yard plus runs in the game. You put it in the hands of your quarterback who's got a bad knee and your, and your best wide receiver and you get a touchdown out of it in a position where you need to score a touchdown on that drive. So like, I think his aggression has worked more times than it hasn't, but when it doesn't work, it's drastic. And that's the thing about aggression. When you're yeah. aggressive like that, sometimes it's a drastic, you know, thing when it doesn't work out in your favor. One thing I will say, and I don't know if I put this on the coaching staff either, but this team had had, you know, small bouts of adversity or, or, or they get into the second halves of games, you know, obviously the Wisconsin game being one example, but even the, the Michigan State game, or I guess you could even say the first Wisconsin game where things were still in the balance. They weren't just steamrolling somebody and yet, it didn't seem to affect them 
the same way it did in the national championship game when Wade went out. I think when I look back at that game, it was even more palpable, just sort of the, 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 the change of the vibe with the whole team. And that's maybe something that I think they'll look back and say, um, people were even said it in the locker room. Although again, he was kind of bordering on <laughs> how coherent he was in the moment. In some ways he was, his, his, his thoughts were, I think, bouncing around a little bit, but he even sort of alluded to, it shouldn't have affected us the way it did from, I think he meant that more from like a mental standpoint, a mental focus or confidence or whatever you want to say. I thought that shook them for the rest of that half. They were shaken in a way that I hadn't seen from them all season. And I I think if they were to go back and replay that game in their heads or when they rewatch it, if they can, I think they'll see the same thing and that might bother them more than other things that happened in that game. I think the scenario of it all is like, why? And I don't know if if a coach can, you know, we always, people, people want to blame that on a coach. Like, why didn't you go in and inspire him? Don't we give give the coach credit? Don't we give, didn't we give these coaches all this credit for adjustments in the game? Yeah, but I I don't think that's, that's not a schematic adjustment. That's like each guy. Somebody on that team, a captain, somebody else. No. Captains needed to, I think, step up. No, no, no. no, no. I, I actually, no, no. With that one situation, I think that's like, where the difference between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day is. I think Urban Meyer would have had some type of, like, moment in that locker room. I think he would have. Because, like, that, like, that whole scenario of, like, your defense is coming off of the field. And, well, like, we don't know of, what happened in the no, live. Or but. You know, but, like, I just think, like, that's, a, like, I do think when the argument of, like, the Ryan Day, Urban Meyer comparison, which we, like, we've had on this, like, that's the one place where I know that team would have come out a little bit differently in that second half. With Urban Meyer as a, just because of like the reputation that Urban Meyer has built as a motivator. Maybe, because, but it didn't, it didn't against Iowa and Purdue the previous yeah, year. Yeah, but that's not, that's not the same. That's not you losing like your NFL level corner on fourth and long on, after a third down where your defense is coming off the field and like you've once again stopped the Clinton offense from doing absolutely anything where the momentum shifts that much to where it goes and where it's probably going to be 23 to nothing at halftime. Now it's 16 to 14 going into halftime. That's a whole different scenario than like, Oh, one of like Iowa's best players went off or one of Penn State, one of Purdue's best players went off and Ohio State defense is just terrible. This is a whole different scenario that I think that. I just think Urban Meyer would have like had that team in a different space. I mean, it, it felt like room. to me while while Ryan Day was undefeated, there were a lot of questions about like, well, isn't Ryan Day better than Urban Meyer at this? Yeah. Is it? And it's like, it's okay to say that Ryan Day is not perfect. Yeah, and maybe it took losing to Clemson in the game they probably would have won eight times out of ten to realize he's not perfect. That's okay. I wrote and said, not. I mean, I'm talking about on field stuff. The criticism. That I levied at three-time national champion Urban Meyer during his nine losses in seven years at Ohio State. What I wrote after they lost to Iowa, it was like, has Urban Meyer completely lost it? Like the credit, we are now at, it is okay to think that Ryan Day is not infallible. I thought he got on tilt a little bit with the play calling. The, the idea of like, hey, we kind of had a bad thing happen, and all of a sudden, Clemson scores two touchdowns in three minutes. It's kind of like, okay, you got, you're allowed to get it back a little bit here. Justin Fields wasn't seeing everything great. For all the things that went against Ohio State, Justin Fields put two balls 
on the numbers of Clemson yep. defenders yeah. that they dropped. Yeah. Like there, some of the red zone stuff was like, as I said in the last podcast, and I don't want to repeat myself, like there was some Freddie Kitchen stuff in there of like, try to throw on first down from the eight, doesn't work, run on second down, and all of a sudden it's third down and you haven't taken a really good shot on this. All this stuff, hey, that slip a little tight end out across the formation, that worked against Indiana. It's like, yeah, it doesn't work against Brett Venables. Have a better play call than that. I'm just saying. Brett Venables called a heck of a game. Brett Venables is really good. Ryan Day is really good. And when you rewatch the podcast, I mean the, the, the broadcast, in the first half, Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler are saying, Ryan Day is taking Brent Venables to school, school baby. Nobody yeah. does this to Brent Venables. <laughs> and then Brent Venables was like, all right, I'm My coming turn. back. So it's not like, right? it's not that Ryan Day is not a good coach or a good play caller or a good whatever. So he's not perfect. And I would say, I mean, if we graded Ryan Day, if you said, Ryan Day, what's your grade as a head coach for the Clemson game? Like as many guys, well, a, a, a lot of ways they did everything they could do. I don't, what would Ryan Day be? We graded Justin Fields all year. What would Ryan Day be for the Clemson game? Like a B minus? A C plus? Yeah, I'd give him a B minus. You know, I, boy, I, we know Justin Fields was not 100%. Justin, or J.K. Dobbins leaves the game with an injury and doesn't come back at full strength. He loses Sean Wade, not to something that was his own doing. I, all those things, I think, really factor into the grade you would give him for, for that game. And I, I don't know. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Place? I understand what you're saying about the, the, the play calling early on. Um, but I mean, at the same time, the screen pass was a great play call that wasn't his fault mm-hmm. that that didn't end up as a touchdown. The, the little wheel route was a pretty good play call. I don't think that was his fault that didn't end up as a touchdown. I mean, those, there's two separate, um, possessions of those three where they could have had touchdowns instead of field goals. So, I don't know. I think I would still give him a, a, a probably higher than a B minus. That's a good point. That's and good and, you're, point. and at the end of the game, you're turning the game over with a lead and ninety whatever yards to go to the best defense in the country and a defense that for most of that game had beaten Clemson, and you got shredded. And again, I don't necessarily put that on the head coach with an offensive background either. Three one five. He is the head coach, though. I understand. Yeah. 315. I didn't have the heart to rewatch the game. Again, not a, not a unique viewpoint from, uh, from people we're hearing from. From the 419, the bad calls were unfortunate, but I'm over that. The real reason they lost, they ha- had everything to do with the mistakes they made. We have to accept that. I'm happy with this year's team and what is yet to come. And Chris Olave needs to know he had one heck of a year and stuff happens. Get up and get, that, get after it. We don't blame you, man. That's from Nick Gardner. Tyler F. from the 330. Honestly, couldn't bring myself to watch New Year's Bowl games. The Fiesta Bowl just kind of burned me out. Still disappointed. I don't know if this will ever go away. Each generation has their disappointment game. Michigan State 98 which people have never stopped talking about. And that was losing to frickin' Nick Saban, and they never stopped talking about it. The national championships in 06 and 07, people have never stopped talking about 41-14 to Urban Meyer in Florida. And now the Fiesta Bowl in 19. I think that is a very astute point of, like, trying. And, again, you'd put 69 Michigan for the Super Softs mm-hmm. in that sort of generational, the lot, the losses Ohio State never forgot. That's a list. It was a note to self. Note to self. Literal note to self. He stopped to write it down. I think that is a very interesting conversation, and I think it uh, um, 
as we look ahead, and I, 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 you guys didn't cover it, so you don't know specifically, but like it, it, the, to bring up the national championships in 06 and 07, uh, again, a lot of this, it's, it's funny. And Jim Trestle got one in year two, baby. Jim Trestle, 34 years without a national title, Jim Trestle wins one in 02. And by 06 and 07, everybody's like, oh, great. Sure, you beat Michigan. Sure, you win the Big Ten every year. But when you get up against the big boys, right. you can't get it done. What's wrong with you, Trestle? <laughs> like, okay. there, I mean, I it's lived crazy. that. I lived that for a decade. How long did I cover for Trestle? <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Six years of Trestle that I was here. All that guy did, like, in retrospect, it's like, Jim Trestle dominated Michigan. Jim Trestle won the Big Ten. Jim Tre- I'll tell you what. While it was happening, people were like, could we get a new offensive coordinator? I am sick of winning this way. Like, Ryan Day is more innovative and exciting and more high scoring. So that, like, sort of eases the mind a little bit. It's not just winning. It's sort of how you win. People at some point became tired of winning the Trestle way. But, like, getting to back-to-back national championships and losing to the SEC, people weren't like, well, it was a great year. Well, you know what, boys? We got to the national championship game, and what are you going to do? Sometimes, like, there was not a single person. There was not, they were only four years. I mean, it's the exact same thing, right? What year is it? 2019? It's 2020. 2020 right now? Yeah. Oh, happy New Year. For both. They are five years removed from a national championship, right? In 2006, they were only four years removed. And in 2007, when they lost back-to-back, they were five years removed. It's the same time period. And people, when Trestle lost back-to-back national title games, people were like, well, we suck. Oh, no. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, well, this program's going down the tubes. This is not acceptable to be the second-best team. Sorry. It is a podcast. That's because if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> But so, so like right now, the idea of like, well, hey, you lost to Clemson, right? Like you gave everything you had. Yeah, that's over next year. Like the future will determine the past. If Ryan Day gets one two years from now or next year, it changes how you look at this. But if they get to the playoff again next year and they lose to Clemson again. Trestle had one in the bag. He won the first national championship in 34 years in his second season. And losing back-to-back national championship games, people were like, this is, we cannot live this way. (laughs) So I'm just telling you, like, it feels like right now, like, well, I mean, like, hey, boys, they were right. They were good enough. And that's the thing, you know, 41-14, but Ted gets hurt. You don't know. LSU, they hung with it a little bit more. Part part of the issue would be that I don't think anybody in the moment, I mean, with LSU and Florida, they they didn't they felt like they couldn't compete. They felt like this is not good enough, right? Nobody's feeling that with Clemson. But in the end, did you win or did you lose? So like, if they don't get over the hump, I will be curious how people looked at that because now looking back, people love Jim Trestle in the moment. They weren't out on Jim Trestle, but like, it wasn't good enough. Nobody, nobody thought it was good enough. From the 515, lots of people around here, not Buckeyes fans, think they got bad calls against them. I think they did as well, but they still had their chances. I believe the Buckeyes were better 
even though they lost. Play that game 10 times, Buckeyes win 8 or 9. Rooting for Joe Burrow now, just another missed opportunity for the Buckeyes, which seems to be a theme for them since the 90s. 8-4-7, I think Ohio State was clearly the better team. The game plan was outstanding, just had too many things not go their way. Ohio State beat Clemson, beats Clemson 8 out of 10 times. We sort of have said, like, in the postgame pod, how many times would they win out of 10? Like, when you hear now, as we're removed from this, does this does this all sound right to you guys? Like eight, that? 8 sounds high to me, but... I see where people are coming from, but I also think... I mean, we just said it. Like, you're at, you know, what are the five plays that determine the game? Yeah. Well... More of them came down to things Ohio State didn't do than things the refs did. Yeah, even that short. The refs of a, just had two big, like loud moments. But right, like there were no. It was just two loud moments. Yeah, the refs had two loud moments, and one of them was not what the refs did. It's what the the people of rule is. Yeah. Well, but but the, the, the well, yeah. People's yeah. big problem with the Sean Wade targeting ejection is what the rule is more than how it was applied. But there, also, like right. if the refs didn't call it targeting. That that came from right. upstairs. That's why I say the people like if like the if the if the in the in a world where like replay doesn't exist, like it's not even a thought in people. It wasn't a thought in the refs' minds until somebody put it there. It's funny when you watch the broadcast. Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler did like not talk about it really. No, it just kind of targeting until and I count. I think it was thirty two seconds between like the end of the play yeah. and the announcement that they were reviewing it. Yeah, and they showed a replay a couple times in there. They were sort of talking about like. Chase Young, like, twisting him with the second hit and that kind of thing. Yeah. They were not saying, like, ooh, that looks like targeting. Ooh, that looks like targeting. Until the ref said, mm-hmm. now we're looking at targeting. Then they looked and were like, well, he did sort of have crown on the helmet. But so it's one of those of, like, well, by the rule. I mean, it wasn't – I don't know that everybody in America was screaming targeting. Like, no, people now – some people now in hindsight are saying, like, well, by the rule, that was targeting. It was. But it was also, like – I mean, if you if you look hard enough for something, you're going to find it. Well, also though, I mean, it, again, we don't want to go down this whole rabbit hole again, yeah. but optics are big too, because as I was watching the game, the thing that came to my mind was, if that had been a defensive tackle, or maybe even a linebacker who started that play closer to the quarterback, and had less of a runway going into the quarterback, and he makes the same contact with the same helmet, I don't know that it gets called targeting, but when the guy's got a gap, and he's coming downhill from that far of a distance, right. and people yeah. see the play develop that way, I think that gives them incentive to call targeting there. I still understand why it was called that way. The bigger problem is what the rule is, not how it was called. From the 3-2-1, everybody in my circle believes Ohio State had the better team, but Trevor Lawrence was the game changer. Uh, All the ref stuff came from the booth. Um, I'm starting to get over it. Sometimes being a fan is painful, but no longer optional. I feel sorry for you guys losing the ability to be emotionally involved. You can't, but you are good at understanding us. So like that is the thing. It's like, we sort of can look at this and say, well, you know, this and that, I mean, whatever. Yeah, and we and get it. Like, this like, yeah. Like, like I don't, you know. A, this is a sucky way to lose a football yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I don't need to be invested. In I mean, this is the fans from the 740. Thank you. Guys. I still feel devastated. I feel Ooh. robbed. I want to punch Dabo in the face wow. every time I see him on TV. I still can't believe the plays we left on the field, the drops, etc. I'm also very excited for next season and very optimistic. Um, still in disbelief from the 239. The number of mistakes Ohio State made when they had played clean most of the year is still hard to digest. Even here in Fort Myers at the grocery store, etc., people see my Ohio State hat and shake their heads about the loss, about the officiating. The fact that the loss came against Clemson just makes it worse. RIP the 2019 Buckeyes. That's from our guy Shelby. From the 513, I feel terrible. I'm still not sure if I will be able to listen this week. I haven't listened to the post-game pod or any of your articles since Saturday. 
from the 480, can't bring myself to rewatch the game or even read, listen to notes about a rewatch two weeks later. Moving on, but this one will hurt for a long time. It's not about the loss alone, but of course, the two calls on replay, and especially that it happened to Clemson. Can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'd rather beat Clemson than Michigan these days. Even before this game, I thought that, and now forever, they will be my most hated team. The way Dabo talks about this game and his team, Sheese, he makes an easy villain for Ohio State fans, that's for sure. What do you think about that idea? We talked about coming into this game. Ohio State, I don't think in their history, had as many was winless against any program they had played three times. They're now 0-4 against Clemson. And again, we talked about, oh, all these game-changing things. Woody, Braxton Miller's arm gets ripped off. Shut out in the semifinal, and now this, which yeah. might be the worst. I mean, that's a, is this worse than the Woody punch? Because like Woody was sort of nearing the end anyway, and um, whatever. Like, like that is the end of a legend and kind of a weird thing, and none of us lived through that as fans. So, I, but man, are, are we in a world where they're zero and four against Clemson, and these are the four? Is Dabo is Clemson that kind of villain? First of all, there's nothing worse than a, a grown man putting his hands on a student athlete. I just want to anything with that, but no, yeah. But, I mean, but, like but from, a sim- from a simply from yeah. a football fan standpoint, I think yeah, this might be the worst one, giving all of the, the the things that went into it, and like in 2016, you just weren't good enough, and like and in, in 20, I don't want to relive it. Are they the biggest villain? The idea, Clemson, Michigan. Does that make any sense to you? Of like, because Bama was sort of that level villain. People hated Saban, but they vanquished Bama. Bama. Yes. They vanquished. And they're vanquishing. I mean, if you said. It means more to us. I mean, yeah, they're, they're running the Ohio State Michigan rivalry right now. So that's not even like, they're a villain by like, by birthright. So that this, not by any like real thing, any like real threat right now. So that by that instance, yeah, I think Clemson is the bigger villain right now. Right now though, the only way you play Clemson is if you fulfill your potential. So I understand what you're saying. They, they fulfill their potential to get to the college football playoff. And as I said before, in my opinion, you just get on the field with another great team. Sometimes things don't go your way. I don't know that that defines this team in a way that if you lose to Michigan, if this, if, if, if Ohio State had lost to Michigan this year and they're not even in the college football playoff, that defines this season. It defines the whole 2017 class in a different way. I just feel like that's where the, to me, that's, that's, there's a more villainy potentially involved Beating in that. Michigan. So consistently, like, allows the rise of another villain because yeah. you don't really like. Right now, they don't respect. Let's see Michigan, Michigan the same beat way. Ohio State three years in a row and try to figure out who the biggest villain is. Like, nobody. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, but like in the moment, I understand it because it's like you hate the per like you hate the person that you can't beat. Like, you don't hate the guy that like. Well, I'm. I'm better than you in every way. What's the I mean, point of is, me hating? Michigan you? is like is like it's like being born into a family of like vegetarians and like Michigan is the meat and like the, your seven year old comes on with a cheeseburger and like I'm the lost. Fa- and then the family goes is it, so is 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 Penn State higher on the villainy meter right now than Michigan? No, no, no. no. It's just the what I mean is like you go you get you get here and you go, we don't like we don't eat meat in this house. Why? Because we don't eat meat. Okay, we don't eat meat. We beat Michigan every year in this in this program. Why? Because we beat Michigan every year. Alright, cool. We're gonna continue to beat Michigan. But like they still have yet to get over that hump with Clemson. Do you understand the the, I, the desire of some Ohio State fans to punch Dabo in the face? Sure. Yes. I mean, there are probably a lot of people Ohio State fans with a punch in the face, so that's he, not. He he sure aw shucks it for a for a yeah, for a I, like a. He's oh so eyes. nice. <laughs> 
Like, yeah. Can you imagine if Bill Belichick was like, ah, shucks, we're just the little old New England <laughs> yeah. Patriots. It's like, dude, at least Bill Belichick is like, oh, we're the best team. Like, so that, is that what, that's, that's the, better. So that's what yeah. makes it worse. It's like, he's like, He's, he's a shuck so, Saban. Yeah, he's so all shuck Saban. He's so nice that it's like I just want to hit you. Saban is like a, <laughs> a a cyborg of winning. It's like yeah. it's harder, but like to be like a down home, like nobody gives us any respect. Twenty nine straight wins. It's like what are you talking did about? You, did you see their thing on HBO? It's like the most robotic, like special. I've Saban ever seen. and Belichick. Yes, it's so like. It's exactly what you think it's going to be. But I think I'd rather, I'd rather, uh, you don't want to punch a robot. You want to beat a robot. No. But it's like, what's the point of punching a robot? But like, uh, like, 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 Dabo's like sitting on the front porch with his banjo, like, little old us? What do you think? Shut up, dude. Like, I get that. I get that. The two people who were working here left because I was shouting so much. <laughs> just to be clear. I'm like, we have, like, well, it is a podcast. I'm like, well, we have a microphone. Yeah. You don't have to, we, you don't have to yell do. it straight into people's ears and Akron. taking over the office. The people who are here to cover government, the people who control your lives, stopped doing their job and just left and just said, we cannot be in an office with yes. this screaming maniac. The best thing it's about been, Buckeye Talk is if you're in like East Liverpool or uh, Cincinnati you or Youngstown, it. you, you just have to live. open your window if you know when we're recording it. You don't have to mess with a with the app on a phone. Oh wait! Oh yes! Oh, just hold like a hand oh, up to your ear like an old man. <laughs> Punch Dabo in the face. We do not condone violence. I don't apologize. I don't apologize. I am who I am. Five five nine. Definitely over the result now. I was feeling crappy for two or three days, but uh, a week later, it's water under the bridge. What a very well-adjusted Ohio State fan. I understand that I'll probably tell people the 2019 loss to Clemson stung the most of, that's your word, stung the most of any loss I've watched in Ohio State history, but what are you going to do? Still a real fun season of Ohio State football where they won all won 13 games by double digits. That, I don't even recognize that person. That is like a well-adjusted sports fan. That's a very odd thing. I mean, like, and I, I'm not making fun of the people who aren't well-adjusted, but it's like, that's great. I'm glad that that person could think that way. 306, still mad. We are the better team. If one of three things happens, we win. Uh, the most important is if Dobbins doesn't get hurt. When he came back, he wasn't 100%. You could tell it changed the game. Um, I really did, like, I thought they got away from the run in the second half. And I don't know. And again, it's like Freddie Kitchen sometimes got away from the run. It's like Nick Chubb is here. And it's like you can't just slam a running back into a defensive line. Uh, you know, it, no matter how good your running back is, if, if, if the opposing defensive coordinator knows you're running and he has some mm-hmm. good defensive players, he's going to scheme you up. So sometimes people scream for the run. And it's like a lot of the times the run works when, like, you're looking for the pass. You know what I mean? Or you do something. Yeah. So you can't just run. But I did feel like there were some opportunities where I thought, wow, I thought they might have gone to JK here. Um, and I, and I wonder, and I don't know that Ryan, I don't think Ryan Day was asked about it. I wonder how JK's ankle affected the play calling decisions in but the second half. But also Justin Fields' knee more because like him not being the run threat that like he is also kind of close in a way that Dwayne had, not to that extreme, but like it took away from like, like it, there's not another option but JK. So we know if it's, Handoff situation. JK is getting the ball because Justin Fields is not going to take off. So well, I think that plays a role. That along with JK's whatever his angle situation was, I think those two things played a factor in why they sat back and threw the ball forty six. But times. JK still 
Dobbins still had, had 141 rushing yards, yards in the had first quarter. Had 260 yards in the first half. Yeah, yeah. And, now, and, the, and you you make adjustments to that. I will say too. And the, sure. I think I think the the play calling after that second 60 some yard touchdown run mm-hmm. might have been influenced by the fact that he got caught from behind, and maybe Ryan Day recognizes he's a little gas there. I'd have to go back and look at exactly what the calls were. I wrote about it in the rewatch. Um, but I think that might have been a factor there that he's getting a little gassed. And he didn't come out and start that next series. Master Teague came out and started mm-hmm. that next series and they drove downfield with Master Teague, although not really on the legs of Master Teague. A lot of that was through the passing game. They put Dobbins back in. First play after he comes back in is the drop screen pass. Five, seven, four. I'm still mad about the missed opportunities, especially after watching Wisconsin get screwed in the Rose Bowl. I'm even more convinced wow. that the better team didn't win either of those games. I refuse to watch any highlights of the game or even listen to the moronic talking heads on ESPN talk about it, so I guess you can say I'm handling it well. I did think something, and I, and I wanted to get into this. I don't think I'm going to write it, so we'll talk about it here. Um, I thought the two plays, two things that cost Ohio State the national championship, to me, if I was going to list five things, like overall... I think, honestly, one might be leaving Justin Fields in a, the end of the Penn State game. Like, 100% Justin Fields, as much as we talked, healthy, not healthy, whatever. You just said, he's curling up. He does the millennial curl up. Old guy he's, making I, a dumb point. No, face. it's a you great... You just said Justin Fields' knee affected how they yeah, play called. And, what would a, you don't think 100% Justin Fields... Makes some kind of difference against. Oh, I, I think Justin Fields should be in the game at that point, but maybe that's not the play you call, and that's not how you protect it. And that's down. the decision that's he makes. What it is. I don't like the, the. Listen, he called a fourth down play with his. Yeah. Absolute. There's no backup quarterback on this team. They're comfortably ahead with two minutes left. Well, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't and have to be the play that he called. Whose fault is it that that Justin Fields got his leg ripped off? On a play that didn't it's, matter. It, that's Ryan Day's fault. Ryan but Day not, screwed that up. But not him being in the game. And I, that's what I think that needs to be like, that needs, needs to be said here. Can we, are we, are you guys okay with criticizing Ryan Day? Uh, no, no. We yes. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, no, I'm I just criticize him. I'm by not it. going to criticize him for leaving his quarterback okay. in the game. He I am put, going to criticize him for not like, Knowing who his quarterback is and knowing Justin Fields is going to try to make a play whenever he can and just running the ball in that situation. I'll, I will, I'm going to discredit him for the play call, not for leaving his quarterback in the game because listen, like him getting hurt, he could have got hurt in the first quarter of that game. And then like what, what, what would happen? So we can't just say, Oh, because he left his quarterback in the game, he got hurt. No, he got hurt because you made a stupid play call on fourth down where you don't have to have your quarterback do anything at that point in the game. Okay. That's all. I'm, I'm, that was why I curled. Justin Fields should not have been in the position to scramble on fourth down with two yes. and a half minutes left in a game where Ohio State was I agree by with two that. scores. I agree with that. But like, with, and get his knee ripped But off. two scores is not enough to take your starting quarterback out the game. But it is enough to like... Okay, let's, let's stop parsing words on why it was bad. It was bad. Yeah. He was in the game on fourth down in a game they were comfortably ahead with two minutes left. When, like, you could have, uh, 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 we can go back and look at the exact play. But the worst possible thing that could have happened in that situation happened. Happened. And, 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 like, I, and I'm the one, I hate the discussion of take the quarterback out, when not to take him out. Like, th- that sequence, again, when we were in the world of, like, Ryan Day is infallible, he didn't really get the what in God's name were you doing there question from that, did he? I don't th- well not in real time because I don't know that we thought that the impact was that significant at the time. 
So we maybe should get it now. And it's like, shit, like, who's going to Yeah, and, I, and, and also because, like, Justin kept popping up and doing amazing things right after he would hurt the knee. So that was one. I, like, if on the list of, like, what cost Ohio State the national championship, that's my number one. Do you disagree with that idea? I do not. Number two, everybody before the bowl season was talking about, like, if Oregon doesn't have that bad loss, was it to Arizona State? Mm-hmm. Right. Oregon would have been in the playoff, right? Oregon right. is viewed as a borderline playoff team they finished sixth wisconsin who again like i made fun of wisconsin all year wisconsin who i can't name a single player in wisconsin goes to the rose bowl plays toe-to-toe with oregon for 60 minutes wisconsin and oregon are equally as good and people are saying oregon should have been in the playoff georgia Plays Baylor, and it's like the Big 12, it turns out, still is a fraud. Oklahoma gets its doors blown off by Joe Burrow. Baylor, who wasn't as good as Oklahoma, goes and like falls behind Georgia, but comes back, kind of plays with them a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. In the end, LSU gets all this credit for handling Georgia, which people think is a playoff team, even though they didn't beat anybody good. Ohio State falls behind Wisconsin. Has to come back in the second half. Doesn't really get... We're just talking about the seeding, right? Yeah. I'll tell you what. Like, the way Wisconsin played with Oregon and the way, like, Georgia beat Baylor, but whatever. Like, the idea that LSU's win over Georgia and Ohio State sort of struggling with Wisconsin and having to come back is what made the difference between Ohio State being one and being number two. If you had this information from both seasons... Wisconsin... Is, is your argument the fact that like Wisconsin might be better than Georgia? Be, a, be a Wisconsin win maybe better than a Georgia win? Like, did did or it you, feel in the moment that a Georgia beating Georgia was viewed as significantly better than beating yeah. Wisconsin? Well, now, but they, they especially thumped Georgia pretty good. They did thump. Yeah, but but did people think Wisconsin, me included, me at the top of the list? That Wisconsin was that good that, like, man, it's like, how is Ohio State behind Wisconsin at the half? As opposed to being like, man, Wisconsin, they're yeah. a borderline playoff they, team. It's because they played them already, I think. that Yeah, they, they, they beat them by a fairly comfortable margin, yeah. having played them already. Even though that game was at home, this was a neutral field. Um, um, they also had, I think, a you know, Wisconsin having a loss on its resume that I think made people question how good they really were at that point. Yeah, but um, Georgia had one, too. I Georgia had a worse loss. I think it's just the fact that, like, Ohio State had already shown that it could wipe yeah. the floor. South Carolina time. blows. Yeah. Illinois would kick South it's, Carolina's butt. It's to a, the it's, it's, I don't know about It's that, just but. simply the fact that, like, the first time these two played, Ohio State wiped the floor with Wisconsin and Chase Young into the Heisman conversation. And the second time... Chayshon was nowhere to be found, and Wisconsin had a lead at halftime. Like, if that's all. If, if Ohio State had never played Wisconsin, and that was the first time they played them all season, I think there's a better argument for them to still have the number one seed in the playoffs. I think what would have been really interesting is if if this had been, you know, so much of your schedule is determined so many years ahead of time. Ohio State knew this was going to be a year where it played five road games out of the nine in the Big Ten, so its home non-conference schedule was not quite as juicy like the, you weren't going to have maybe you weren't going to play Oregon probably in a year where you've got those five row games Does that makes sense I, I feel like if there had been a game like an Oregon or a Notre Dame or something and they had that one extra win that might have made the difference between two and one but they were number one going in yeah. to championship right. weekend it, and right they weren't and it was all perception of but what I think happened. I, yeah. I think well I think the recency bias may have been a slight but I think it also while Ohio State was number one I don't know that they were like 
number one by a giant margin over LSU in the committee's minds at that point. Okay, the bottom line is Ohio State was number one. After championship weekend, they weren't number one. Right. Their game was closer. Here's my bottom baseline question. At the moment, who was perceived by everybody to be the better team, Georgia or Wisconsin? Georgia. Yes. After bowl season, who is the better team, Georgia or Wisconsin? Wisconsin. I think they might be equal. Right. Yeah, I don't know if I would. And, it, and then it's probably. Like, okay, I mean, no, I'm not saying but, that definitively. I'm just. But like, I think we may have overrated Georgia. Baylor stinks. I get it. Matt Rule's a genius. Now he's in the NFL. Baylor doesn't have three players that could play at Ohio State. No offense to Baylor. I don't know any players on your team. I don't care. <laughs> Baylor stinks. They come back in this weird thing. Baylor with like their third quarterback. Their quarterback gets knocked out of the game with another yeah, concussion. That was a bit much. But they kind of hang around with George at the end. Again, all the respect that everybody had for Oregon. Wow, they're what one bad luck. And Wisconsin's like, I mean, Wisconsin didn't beat them, but like probably should have beaten them. They had the weird call at the end, like, right, that people were going nuts about. I just, um, it just like, like add it to the list of like how close Ohio State was. Cause we obviously knew it at the time. You want to be number one, so you don't have to play Clemson. And everything Ohio State did, it's like, Oklahoma stinks. I, I I don't have a handle on how much of the LSU-Oklahoma game, like what percentage of that is like unstoppable Joe Burrow, what percentage of that is like Alex Grinch's fraudulent Oklahoma defense that we got one more chance to say, oh, by the way, Alex Grinch, not a genius, typical fraudulent Big 12 defense. But I think Ohio State would have beaten the crap out of Oklahoma. I think it would have been fun to watch Ryan Day, you know, shred Alex Grinch defense. Alex we got the, we would have we would have been able to see what like they didn't practice every day. Everybody's all American. Let's take a quick break here on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk from the 910. A week later, I'm more annoyed than anything. I haven't been able to rewatch the game. The more and more I look at the catch fumble TD that was called back, I think it was wrongly overturned. Trying to set my focus for spring ball and then the offseason. High expectations with second year for Ryan Day and Justin Fields. From the 419. My dad, 65 years old, and I, I'm 37, have talked a few times since the game. We bum ourselves out every time talking about it. We believe the better team lost. But we're pretty optimistic going forward that Ohio State is the next Clemson. Clemson led by a Heisman finalist. Deshaun Watson lost a close game to Alabama in the 15 playoffs, came back next season led by Watson on a mission and beats Alabama for the championship. Clemson is on the same level with Alabama ever since. Ohio State led by Heisman finalist Fields loses a close game to Clemson in the 2019 playoffs. 2020, Ohio State goes on a mission to win the championship and becomes a top-level program with Clemson and Alabama. That is an interesting conversation in the 419 between Dad and the 37-year-old. What do you think of that? We had talked about, we had sort of gone down the turn a little bit with, with Justin Fields maybe as the Deshaun Watson of Ohio State football. That, that's expensive. Taking the, that comparison even the next step further, you buy it? Um, I buy it 100%. I think it's a really good argument. Deshaun Watson I think the got Deshaun, that close. Yeah, the Deshaun Watson part of it, yeah, where like yep. the first year he doesn't get it, and then like the next year they come in and they get the win. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Now, everything that happens after that, I mean, look, we'll, we'll see. Again, yeah, again, I think that's that's the the that's the narrative yet to be decided. Is you know for twenty twenty, is he is it like a Deshaun Watson scenario where he is great and the rest of the team comes along enough to push him, or is he Dwayne Haskins who throws fifty touchdowns and a billion yards, but there's enough deficiencies yeah. elsewhere in that team that they can't get there. And that's and that's, 
I think nine starters gone on defense. That's that's mm-hmm. gonna be the story, um, and that's that's exactly I think that's the right way to look at that. Like, are they gonna? Twenty eighteen is a great example. I mean, this might be the two, the two exact comparisons of like a great quarterback who who brings it all together and has the defense and the whole team to back it up versus a, a great quarterback and great offense that is held back by an average defense. Um, but Greg Schiano and Alex Grinch are gone, so I think maybe the defense won't fall back to that level for sure. 614, 100% depressed and more angry than I was after the game. The self-inflicted wounds still hurt, but seeing every official but the dopes from the SEC saying the scoop and score overturn was terrible is just unacceptable in major college football. Add in the fact that Buckeye basketball has seemingly forgotten how to play as a team and the fact that Browns are a national joke again with clueless owners, and it is a dark week for Buckeye Nation. Let's do five minutes on basketball. That, this was sent before they lost to Maryland. Um, what are they, one and three in the Big Ten now? They are. Look, it's January again, and like it looks like they're getting ready to go through another one of those rough patches where, I mean, it's, it's a rough, like four of the, of the next six projects of that Maryland game were going to be on the road. A couple of them are against ranked opponents. Like, this is Ohio State team's got some things to figure out, out to figure out outside of Caleb Wesson. And we don't know how long Kyle Young's going to be out. I mean, he had how, how big of a loss is Kyle Young? Apparently, huge. A lot Blue of big, guy? yeah, like a lot bigger than I thought it would be. Like he's rebounding. Like they they just could not rebound the ball against Wisconsin, and they lost them the game down the stretch where they just couldn't get a stop. Like, like, well, they would get the stop, but they wouldn't finish it with a rebound. You don't finish it. You can't finish the defensive position unless you get the rebound. So, loss, a loss at Maryland is nothing to be upset. No, Maryland's like, good. yeah, we thought that was gonna. I, the Indiana one's gonna be interesting just because it's another road game. EJ Liddell has got to find it, man. Like he just hasn't been. It, he hasn't clicked the way I thought he would click. I, I, I think I said this to somebody at interviews on. Uh, I'm on Monday. I, I thought EJ Liddell would come in and the one thing he would be able to do, regardless of everything else, this is the one thing he would be able to, he'd be able to put the ball in the basket. Like that was the one thing that would be able to translate well for him. And it really hasn't. Now some of that is the way they're using him, but a lot of that is just like, he's not as offensively polished as I thought he was going to be as a true freshman. And like DJ Carden's everything I thought he was going to be. He was going to be great in transition, great in the open court, but then the half court would happen and it would look ugly because Quite frankly, he's always been the most dominant guy in games that he's played in because he didn't play at the highest level of competition. And so there was no half-court basketball. I'm going to take it off the rim, and then I'm going to go, and I'm going to go dunk. And that's what he did for four years of high school. And now the game is starting to slow down. And like Chris, I asked Chris Holman about, like, hey, how is he looking in the half-court? He said he's getting better. It's still some reads he needs to clean up. But, like, those two have to click. It can't be like it was for Luther Muhammad and Dwayne Washington last year where January rolled around and they just hit a thump and were never able to get over the wall. Those two have to click because they're too vital to this. They're the only, like, real rotation guys for them right now. Like, he played seven against uh, Wisconsin. He played more than that against Maryland. But there's only two guys on that bench who are really consistently getting minutes, and those two guys are it. So they have to click. This, this whole team is not shooting the ball well right now. No, right? but like that's not their for that. That's how it is. Like it, it, last season as well. Like Luther and Dwayne shot really well in non-conference schedule. When they get to the Big Ten, where it's at the best conference in basketball right now, where teams have 12, 13 games of film, where you all of a sudden those same shots that were maybe falling against a North Carolina team who's a one-man band and are no longer falling, and like 
Luther, uh, not Luther, but Dwayne's like shot selection is weird. When it's fall, it's, it's J.R. Smith-ish. When, when it's falling, it's lovely. But when it's not, it's like stop shooting the ball. You shouldn't shoot 19 shots and only make five of them. And I guess my point is like when you, something, it'll happen. Like everyone likes to look at it as like, what are they doing wrong? That mm-hmm. sometimes shots just, you go through those stretches. Yeah. It, it isn't necessarily a, a, a problem with the team. But when you go through those stretches against some of the better teams on your schedule mm-hmm. in a short period of time, I mean, it, it's, it's, Circular. I mean, it, it 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 affects everything else you do. When you're not when you're shooting in the low 30s mm-hmm. as a team, you're not playing good defense either because you're not getting back and setting your defense. You're constantly in transition. But especially in a like this is the only conference where like big there's this many good big men that like teams play through, and like when you're playing through a big man, when you're playing through a guy where you have to find ways to get him the ball, he can't just bring the ball up the court. Somebody on the perimeter has to do something to free him up a little bit. And like when that's not happening, teams can load up on Caleb. They can like front him in the post. They can knock him all over the place because they're not going to call it. This is the Big Ten. It's physical basketball. Somebody has to knock down shots because it's going to open up for your best player. When that's not happening, it makes things that much harder for your best player who's already getting bullied and physicaled up down there, but like, it makes it so much worse when guys aren't knocking down shots, and it's like much more of an issue. That game at IU is intriguing to me because that's another team that is kind of scuffling a little bit right now, yeah. is not hitting shots, needs to figure some things out. They're in a weird spot. This Maryland game, the road Maryland game, was a stretch of they have six of nine on the road. Yeah. Um, and, like, it can get away from you. Like, if they're not careful here, they're already – I mean, they've lost four of six, um, and they have five of the next eight on the road – at Indiana, at Penn State, at Northwestern, at Michigan, at Wisconsin. Like, if you lose at Indiana, at Penn State, at Michigan, at Wisconsin, which, like, is, like, you just said Indiana, Michigan and Penn State are both ranked, and, like, Wisconsin is never easy to play at Wisconsin. Like, it, it could it could really get away from them from a little bit here. In the end, and, and, and we can get into more basketball later, but, and, and of course it's a mix of both. Are they closer to the team? The, the real Ohio State basketball team, is it closer to the team that beat Villanova, Carolina, and Kentucky in the non-conference, or is it closer to the team that's 1-3 and three in the Big Ten right now? Because when they beat those teams in the non-conference, they were, like, number two in the country. I think those are the same exact teams because North Carolina, like, a one-man band who's not playing anymore. Though Villanova, Kentucky, and North Carolina are, like, name brands this year. They're not necessarily as good as we so, thought so they were in the rankings. So, but it's not a fluke? They're, they're one and three in the Big Ten. Is that like, oh man, that's a fluke. They're going to get it together. Or is it like, no. listen, people thought they were a Final Four team. Now they might go like 10 and eight in the Big Ten. Yeah, like that's real. Like, no, this isn't a. So f- which is closer? Are they closer to Ooh. being a Final Four team or closer to being like a 500 Big Ten team? And of course they're in between that. But okay. what are they closer to? A Final Four team or a middle of the pack Big Ten team? Today. The way they're they're closer to the ten and eight team, okay, which is like crazy. But also, t- ten and eight in the Big Ten might be fourth. The way this league is going this year, and that's the thing. Like they, this is a tur- they're already they're already solidified their place in the tournament. But this is, yeah, that could be ten. Just because like the Big Ten up until like this past week had six teams in the top twenty five. Yeah, but they were number two in the country before they lost to West Virginia. Yeah, so, yeah but the, so that but turns in this out- year, but in context in college basketball this year, that's. 
this is a weird year. And also, if they go nine and five from here on in, if you look at it just in that vacuum of just the next, it's the just, rest of they the season, that's just, not that bad. They just need to Ten. stay away from that. Like they had a six game losing streak this month last year. They just need to stay away from that. And if I think they go even, ten and it from where people thought they were. Right. It, it'll definitely, yeah, it'll right. definitely be a drop ten off. The Big Ten. That is a huge um, yeah, tumble. From a, they, both you both, it, it, it'll be respectable given what the Big Ten is, but also like because of how highly they started off. Right. I think dropping they, some of these games. What they be, can't afford is you know. Uh, I don't even know who, if they if they play Nebraska at home, they can't lose that. They can't afford mm-hmm. one of those just like awful mess of a games this year. This kind of start puts you in a position where you can't lose any of the ones you're not supposed to lose. Yeah. Good hoop sock. Uh, I was at the game from the seven four zero. I was at the game and really enjoyed it. My feelings ran the gamut. Of blowout win to heartbreaking loss. I honestly think if Fields and Dobbins have been 100% Ohio State wins in a walk. I, I thought, I mean, the thing we just said about that, that Justin, if he's, he, you could still see there was, I think on one of the long runs, you could see he did draw enough of the defense to mm-hmm. be enough of a threat. What do you think he played out in that game? I think the JK ankle injury affected something in the second half. They clearly lost they lost a series in there because JK wasn't in the game when he was getting retaped. Yeah. And Master Teague was in and like they just the offense wasn't as good and they ended up punting on that series. They lost a series in a game where you couldn't lose a series. But also I think it affected things. If you had to guess, again if Justin that week said like I'm still not hundred percent, what do you think he was? I mean it- Again, it it does some sometimes like the brace was bothering him more than the actual injury of the knee was, which maybe I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I would still. I mean, eighty eighty five sounds maybe about right, and in a game with the stakes that high against a opponent that good, that's probably enough to make a difference. It's weird. I mean, I think that the number one thing you have to credit Clemson for that I don't again not having watched every single Clemson game. That Trevor Lawrence was the best running quarterback in that game. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, who, which right. quarterback do you think is going to run 60 yards for a touchdown? And which one do you think is going to throw the ball 46 times? It was the polar opposite. I mean, unbelievable that Trevor Lawrence and puts a move on Proctor in the secondary. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know. Do you think Justin Fields could have run 60 yards for a touchdown? I don't. Given his health. I don't think he could have either. I think, well, and I think there was even and the a, brace. There was even a play in that game where I thought he could have broken away, and and he didn't have the same stride that he had at other he, times. He had year. that unbelievable escape from a sack right. where he yeah. ran for a first down and ran 18 yards and looked awesome. Right, but to get like next level turbocharged into the secondary, I, I just don't think that health and brace wise that wasn't there for him. I think it was less than 80. percent I think a combination of whatever like his knee was feeling along with like that knee brace really irritates him. Like I would being down there before the game and watching him go through reps, like a every single snap was like punctuated by him messing with the brace. Every single one. So I think that combination, I think it was more like 70, 75% of what Justin Fields could have been. He made um the, the second throw that hit the guy in the chest, it was like a, a just a comeback route on the mm-hmm. sideline that the guy read, that they've thrown that ball a lot. I don't know that. It, the first one that really should have been a pick six, the guy absolutely dropped it. The safety broke on it. Mm-hmm. It felt like he hesitated. He took an extra half step before he let it go, which actually I think in the end might have saved it from being a pick six. <laughs> the guy was on it, all over it. And then he had a throw in the back of the end zone that I, like he was kind of running around and put one a little bit up for grabs in the end zone that wasn't that close to being picked, but it wasn't a good decision. 
I thought he made some decisions for a guy who threw one pick the whole year. And I think you guys had talked about he would say, well, I should have had it right. Didn't you write that? There were some yeah. other throws that should have been picked. Yeah. Um, he had three or four or five like decisions in that game. that was like, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. And I thought the brace and the knee affected that. That when you don't feel as free and loose running, then you end up forcing some things throwing. And it just felt like it not being 100% as good as he was and as good as he was down the stretch. And he did everything on the last couple drives that you needed to do. And he put the ball in the end zone to Alave to win the game. And he put it right where he wanted to put it. Um, yeah, again, it felt we, like it permeated his outlook on the whole game. And even if you, even if it was as high as 80, 85%, which might have been the way he played against Michigan and, and Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game as well. You're playing a higher level of opponent. It just looks up, it just shows up differently. I will say to people who bemoan the, the injury problems, you know, all full, full disclosure, Clemson did play most of the first half without someone who's correct. Some people might consider the best receiver in college football yeah. or one of them. So there was an injury issue for Clemson too. They took one of their best players off the have field. An when, when, when field Clemson could get anything going early on in that game. So valid point. Uh, from the 937, I haven't rewatched the game. Can't bring myself to do it. I still feel very disappointed. Not mad at the team or the coaching, just the overall outcome and can't help but feel a little cheated by the officiating. Cop out or not. Had a lot of non-fans that know me saying we got screwed out of one. Same with strangers seeing me wearing my OSU gear. I think it hurts worse because I truly think Ohio State was the better team. This one feels different. I think this game really puts a chip on this team's shoulder and has them motivated for next season. Um, do you think that? I felt like, and, and like Chase Young was very vocal about this, but I think it was kind of an underlying thing this year was like, we're not going to let the Iowa-Purdue loss happen. We've been pushed off track by things that motivated this team. They didn't need it to happen again. They carried that with them already. You know, Ohio State famously, and other teams have done this since, since 41-14, you know, that was like the code to get in the building was Mm 41-14 when they lost to Florida. 41-14 hung over everything that year, and they had a great collection. Now, one of the things that's a little bit different from that team, that 2006 group, is another, in talking about great classes, that 2005 recruiting class, which is like James Laurinaitis, Malcolm Jenkins, Brian Robisky, Alex Boone, Marcus Freeman, a lot of those. Marcus Freeman was a red shirt. He was a year earlier. But that group, they all came back for their senior years in 08 because they fell short in 6 and 7. But when they came off 06, it was like the same group of core guys saying like, we're not, we're that 41-14, that's going to motivate us and drive us. And they got back. They still had a loss, and they were lucky to get in after the loss to Illinois, and then everybody else lost and let them take another shot at the national championship, and they all came back in 08, and then they lose the USC early on. It's a little different, right? I mean, a lot, like, who, who, it's going to drive Justin Fields. It's going to yeah. drive Chris Olave, but like, JK, all the guys, the key guys they're losing, nine starters on defense, Austin Mack, Ben Victor, KJ Hill on offense, um, what what do you think? I mean, the chip on the shoulder thing, we're only going to talk and write about it a million times because it's all anybody in spring ball is going to say. The Clemson loss is driving us. But what do we think it's going to mean? I, you know, again, I, I, I to me, it's still, it doesn't have really anything to do with I really was shouting earlier, wasn't I? You I feel, were, I, I, I feel I, like you're at peace this now. This feels like, like a, now that I'm talking like a normal person, I'm thinking about like, man, I was talking like four times louder than yeah, this at before. least, yes. What was I talking about? I saw wound up about. I don't know. It, I, it, it wasn't. Like, something. It's almost as if like 
like some type of stress has been relieved from your back. I feel bad that the politics writers had to leave. I'm going to have to apologize to them. I mean, it's like, how do I defend it? So this is like, how we do it it's now. In the moment. No, no, no. Halfway through. No, we're going to come in early and halfway through tell them, hey, listen, at this point in the day, just walk out. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, the, the money that you guys pay us and gals pay us for the tech service basically just goes to Doug buying gift baskets yeah. for the people that he shouts out of their yeah. office in the middle of the day. They can't do their job. They can't. They can't. The governor is trying to call our people. They're like, they're not here. Why weren't you in your office? <laughs> ah, this guy. <laughs> they have a multi-directional mic now and they come in and oh my god. Is it all three of them? No, no, no. It's just the one. Oh, I, this unbelievable. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, I forget what the question uh, was. You get the chip, the chip. Oh, like, like they're, they're going to talk about it. I mean, like, they can talk all they want about a chip on their shoulder, but really, what this comes down to is our seven banks: Cam Brown and or Terrell, or um, Johnson. Tyreek Johnson. Tyreek Johnson. Started calling Terrell Johnson back to my Purdue basketball days. Tyreek Johnson. Um, are any of those guys frontline Big Ten cornerbacks? Is uh, Proctor ready for to to fill the shoes of Fuller is are they going to find defensive tackles and are these defensive ends um, ready to step up and be real difference makers now that there's no Chase Young I mean that's what's going to determine how good they, I, they can talk about a chip on their shoulder all they want but really it's about are those guys maximizing their talent if if they need to think about Clemson I guess but a lot of those guys weren't directly maybe involved in the outcome of that game. There's guys who were still very role players and behind the scenes as far as that Clemson game. It's not really on their shoulders the same way. Those are the guys who determine how good 2018 is. I think that's the chip right there. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like these guys didn't have their, like they, they watched. Like I, like they got, guys had been asked, had been asked, like especially guys in the 2017 class. A lot of them were being asked when we were at the media days and stuff, you know, where were you when Ohio State got blown out 31 to nothing? Cause you were about a month from being here. It's like, yeah, but like, I mean, I wasn't really a part of the team. Yes, I didn't feel it. Well, these guys were a part of the team and they just didn't have a chance to really contribute because of the guys in front of them. And they're going to, and, and, in the, in the, in the game of, we're the bigger underdog that Dabo Sweeney and now Ryan Day love to play. It's gonna, I guarantee you he's gonna have messages to guys like Tyreek Smith and Josh Proctor and Seven Banks. Hey, people are gonna be saying, you're no Jeff Okuda. You're no Chase Young. You're no Jordan Fuller. You're no this. You're no that. And yeah. well, this is your chance to go prove that you can be better than those guys. That, that's gonna be their message this entire time is, hey, the the guys who like everybody thinks were ten times better than you guys will ever be, well they lost to Clemson. So this is your chance to make your mark and prove that you can be just as good or even better. Well for a lot of these guys, it's their one shot. Seven Banks and Cam Brown, this is their one shot really to do this. Josh Parker's already a junior. Everybody's been talking about this guy that's this prospect. He's gonna be really yeah. good one day. Well, he's already a junior. Well, one the next day fall. is here. Like, I mean, it's it's gotta be now. Baron Browning is I mean, he was he was essentially a starter this year. He knew playing more snaps than Borland for in a lot of those this games. This is literally but his last year. This shot. may be his only time to be a guy who's on the field all the time. Like it's one shot for some of these guys. There's a there's a lot of urgency, I think, in, in for the, some of these defensive guys who are going to feel in probably a good way. I mean, whatever needs to stoke your fire between now and August, this could be it. The, the, you know, obviously, this this 2018 group that's going to be third year guys is mm-hmm. going to be a driving force of this. I, I updated the scholarship chart uh, the other day, and I just want to I just want to read this. I'm sorry, I was screaming, and you guys had to. Was I screaming? I was like a maniac. You guys had to leave your place of business. Oh, we... I apologize. I think she was just going for lunch, actually. No, but I still shouldn't scream. I'm not going to scream. 
But like I said, I'm not going to scream anymore. No, it's were you gonna, were you about, not going to scream. You were about to scream. New, New, New Year's resolutions that will fail before the end of this podcast. <laughs> and that's why CJ Saunders will have 14 touchdowns. I re- redid the scholarship chart. These are the seniors for next year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not... I'm, again... We're going to have some really good depth chart stuff. And I really, when we do these depth chart podcasts, which is our plan to do for the next two weeks, offense one week and defense the other, I don't think we're going to have a problem going like two hours just talking about like 11 starting positions because no. there's a lot of interesting stuff. I just want to say the seniors. Gunnar Hoke, Demario McCall, C.J. Saunders, Luke Farrell, Jake Hausman, Gavin Cup, Thayer Munford, Jonathan Cooper, Haskell Garrett, Antoine Jackson, Tuff Borland, Justin Hilliard, Baron Browning, Pete Warner, Amir Reap, Marcus Williamson, Jocelyn Wint, and then Blake Hobbiel and Drew Christman. It's going to be a long senior day. That is a lot of seniors, right? And this is the norm here. It's like, oh, who are the All-Americans among the seniors? Well, it's like all the, Ameri- all the All-Americans left. Like Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Jake Adams would be seniors. As often they aren't happens. here anymore. Yeah. That is, I'm not acting like that's not normal. Right. That is just an it's an it's an interesting collection of seniors to me, and it's not to criticize anybody, but like that's not a group of seniors that's going to win you a national championship without a lot of help from some juniors and sophomores. And that is not a criticism, and that is also. Normal, just like Davon Hamilton and B.B. Landers and Malik Harrison and Austin Mack and Ben Victor weren't going to win you a national championship unless you had Chase Young right. and Jeff Okuda and Jake Adams as juniors. It's not unusual, but it's it's just like you need the best combination of teams, and it's what the 2014 team had. That is, it's not underrated because we talk about it all the time. But Michael Bennett and Devin Smith and Curtis Grant and all these seniors that supplemented those sophomores who were so super talented. There were guys who played super important roles. I think it's going to be very interesting to watch this team come together because what we're talking about right now is those seniors who lived through it. Tough Borland and Pete Werner and Baron Browning and Thayer Munford and all those guys who are coming back as the senior leaders. Who are the guys that lived it, that lived the chip that's going to be on their mm-hmm. shoulder, right? And then you said there's going to be the Toronto Mitchells and Teron Vincents and, and Seven Bankses and guys like that who say, well, I didn't really get a chance to try to help change that now is my there's two different kinds of chips mm-hmm. to watch those two groups of chips come together um and even is, in a, is interesting even a program as talented as Ohio State is I think you're going to you're going to see sometimes guys who are multi-year fourth year seniors who go into that fourth year knowing this might be my last football or or they they're not looking forward to like probably long NFL careers mm-hmm. in some of the cases and those guys I think have a lot of say next year and how good this team's going to be from the 813 Andre in Tampa I am still heartbroken I haven't listened to any podcast or I haven't looked at any websites I avoid all talk about the title game this one hurts Simply because we are the better team. I think we win 7 out of 10. From the 7-4 all, I'm looking forward to next season. But I think this year's team is better than next year's team. Ohio State maybe will make the playoffs next year, maybe not. I'm pretty certain neither LSU uh, nor Oklahoma will make it. Um, so, like, that's interesting. Again, it's like you started to sort of figure out who's going like, to a left, right? So yeah. Alabama's going to—Mac Jones looked pretty good. I never wrote the story about backup quarterbacks. It's like oh, Alabama had to go to their backup quarterback, and Mac Jones looked pretty good against Michigan, right? I mean, he made some throws like that guy might be ready to play, plus two of his brothers there, right? Plus Bryce Young. There's a lot of interesting, you know. Bryce I would, I would think Alabama's here. probably back in the top four. They'll be okay. I mean, that's, that is one of those things of like the, these two programs that are like there, and it's like there was a lit, you know, they gave you, somebody gave you a window, but now you're probably back to the point. And all these Bama guys are coming back. 
The, yeah. the one tackle came back. Yeah. Dylan Moses came back. I know Judy left, and they, they lost some receivers and stuff. But like, so here we got all these NFL guys to stay somehow. Uh, from the six one five. A week later, the feeling is still some disappointment, but more so a sense of awesomeness that we were a part of something so elite and fun. I do think in a lot of ways, um, I do think there is just such a difference. between. It's like the same thing with the Super Bowl. It's like I don't think losing the Super Bowl is that disappointing, but it's, as a fan, because you get to have the whole buildup and the day, and your team is in the spotlight. And, like, that's the thing with Ohio State. As we said, the main thing is, are you in the playoff conversation all year? A day will come. It's six years of the playoff. They finished second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. So I don't know what's more likely to happen first, the first or the eighth, to finish this off. But, like, Bama, by the end, I mean, they were in the conversation for a lot of it, but then by the last couple of weeks, they weren't. They finished 13th or whatever in the final playoff mm-hmm. rankings. Like, that year, like, the world where, like, Ohio State loses its big non-conference game and then, like, loses its second Big Ten game, and it's, like, week six, and it's like, well, they're out of it. That year, oh, I can't even, like, imagine what that year is going to be like for Ohio State fans because in the playoff world to be out of the conversation when <sighs> when you when you first brought up the idea of the funeral to to start the thing that was kind of my immediate reaction when i heard the description it made more sense i understood what he was going for but this wasn't a, like i think if you're going to bury a season you're burying if maybe if they had gone 9 and 3 or or worse like a, a season where you're not even in that 5th 6th 7th conversation where you are just out to pasture and everybody else's all the other true elites of, of college football are going off and leaving you in their dust that's the kind of season i think you bury this year was more like a i don't i don't know if you'd hold a funeral you'd hold it'd be like it'd be a, like when you, you take somebody out to dinner because they got fired or whatever you know what i mean like that's more of like what it felt like to me it was like because it, it doesn't have the same it didn't have the same like devastation but again, I'm not a fan, so I don't, I don't have that same emotional connection. I understand the people that do. I understand what they're mourning, but I think of it, I think of it differently than if you, if they had all this talent and they just weren't even there. I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is good news, Ohio State fans, there actually is something worse than this that could have happened. You, and you, someday you may experience it. And, and the thing is, I guess the, the question is, and obviously we're, we're doing a lot of like sort of semantics with like what disappointment is, what devastation is, what sting means, whatever. It's like Alabama might bury this season where, where. Like forget about it forever. That's Right. right, where they have all this talent, but a couple guys get hurt, then Tua gets hurt, you lose close games to good teams. Because th- th- there is an, a, a sort of an insinuation with Barry of like something happened and we never want to think about it. Exactly, again. exactly. Because and there that, was a lot of great stuff in this season. And, and, and this, this is not what these people are not going to. Yeah, that's not what this season is yeah. at all. But there is the other thing of like the opportunity lost, how close you were. If you would have asked people when Ohio State was ten and zero. And I don't know if we did this ourselves or if you would ask fans. If you would ask the average, what percent of Ohio State fans when they were 10 and 0 and they were absolutely killing anybody before they got to Penn State and Michigan, will Ohio State make the national championship game? Like, what percent of people do you think would have said yes at oh, that point? 99.9. I think so. And especially because I think at that point, of, even that late in the season, there was still skepticism about how good Clemson was. Yeah. So that's the thing of like, that. There was no, I don't think you can ever assume a national title, but like the idea of like, we're going to get there. Like we're getting, especially it's like, oh, like you said, Clemson was kind of not as respected as much. Everybody knew the four spot was kind of going to be a stinker, yeah. especially once Al- it wasn't going to be Alabama, mm-hmm. right? Maybe Alabama lingering as a sleeper at number four would have been scary. That's the thing of like, the, the, there was such a, people had reached such a high with this team. 
right? I mean, the build up mm. to it, and then even like, yes, they played some cup tougher games, but they're thirteen and zero. Um, we all know, that. we all know. Two o two. As someone who was at the game, I can tell you it was even more heart wrenching in person. The whole atmosphere changed after the TB fum- TD fumble was recalled. From the 3-3-0, I think this is the best Buckeye team I've seen, even if they didn't win at all. I thought 2005 was the best Trestle team, and they didn't even get to play for a championship. I've said that many times, that I thought that 2005 team that, that lost to Texas and Penn State uh, was probably like that. But again, it's like they they just didn't get the chance in the end. Um, from the 9-1-9, can't rewatch the game. Too many missed opportunities, just a missed chance at a title that they will never get back. From the 310, thanks for putting together the pod. We all appreciate it. First, I'm not sure we can overstate how big it is that Wade is returning. And I want to get your thoughts on that. That's a good thing to bring up. He's a, he's a stabilizing force with young DBs. Um, in terms of how I feel, I liken it to how I felt after putting my dog down over a year ago. I'm intensely sad, but it gets a little better each day. My final conclusion, like many, is that it was a huge lost opportunity. It's hard to amass all that talent, but I'm hopeful that we can reload and make another run at it. Wade is a huge piece of the puzzle for next year, I think, from the 310. I, I talked about Sean Wade in the last pod. You guys say what you think Sean Wade's return means. Well, I, I wrote this the, the day of the decision that I thought as much as they need his skill on the field, that his just his kind of his presence, his leadership, his intelligence, those things can have as much of an impact on that whole room. He is now sort of tasked with all these things we were talking about before, Seven Banks, Cam Brown, uh, Tyree Johnson, uh, whoever else, Amir Reap. Somebody's got to help those guys get better, and I think he is the kind of guy who can help them do that, especially because when he, he didn't come back, I mean, l- let's be honest, he's not, the reason he's going to be back at Ohio State next year is not because he's not ready he could have got drafted. He could be playing in the NFL next year. But he's coming back because he can probably help himself, his personal stock. But the other thing he also said, he wasn't really going to say that during his decision announcement. What he is going to say is, I'm coming back to win a national championship. I think he knows he can't win a national championship unless the rest of that cornerback room is also better. That's kind of his number one task to me next year. He'll be good on his own. He's already a good cornerback. He's got to make those guys, help those guys get better. I thought that was the most important Decision that's happened for Ohio State this offseason. Because, like, that he's the, the for those reasons, you just know, he, that's the difference between, like, you're teaching three new guys, three new starters versus having a guy who's probably a preseason first team All American at this point, who, like, is trying to play his way into being a top 10 draft pick. And that's why he's going to, along with the national championship, this is a guy who's trying to play his way into being a top 10 draft pick, which I think he will. I think he's that good because he's trying to, like, he shows he can do it in the slots about proving he can do it on the outside. But, like, man, the difference between him coming back and not coming back with the, with that defense, which is already going to be a step lower than it was this season, that that's huge. Like, there's so many new moving parts to have one place already on this D for you, you can just kind of check off. And you're not going to have to worry about what he's going to be doing this spring. I think they're going to treat him the same way they maybe they treated Dobbins in the spring last year, where it's like, I mean, we know you're the guy. So you're like, we're going to keep your reps light. We're going to make sure you're healthy, make sure you get through the spring and maybe turn it up in the fall when like it's time to get going, time to get ready for a season. But like, his this that that I don't think there was a more crucial decision than his this offseason. Two things I do think I mean one thing is I think we're all assuming he's basically going to play a different position. 
Yeah. So that is part of it. It's like, I, I, I know what you're saying. He's going to have to get some reps at outside corner because he played slot corner. And in a lot of ways, slot corner is more difficult, but also you're going to be matched up on, on bigger, yeah. uh, kind of number one guys. I don't know if he'll follow guys, but the other part of it is I think it's even, it's bigger. And, and there was a point I said in the last pod, I think, I think there's a point where it's like, I don't know if he's the difference between making the playoff or not. Like he's really good, but they have so many other people right. they have to replace. Yeah. Um, I don't know that anybody would be other than like Chase coming back. You know, and it's not, it's no offense to Sean Wade that like Chase coming back would have been a bigger deal than Sean no, Wade. It's just one's a defensive end and one's a cornerback. I mean, like, Chase was never going to come back. But the idea that it's a new coach, that, that the guy in the room who's going to have the most experience is Sean Wade yeah. more than whoever the coach is. Right, right. So that's even more of like, you know, if Jeff Halfley's back, he's like, hey, we have a standard. This is how we do it. All you young guys who are in the back of the room before move up to the front row. Here we go. But now there's a new there's a new coach coming in too. Now if it's Kerry Combs and it's you know some guys know him, Sean Wade would know Kerry Combs, but but I think that is even is even bigger that it's like in some ways like if the coach will be like if it's somebody totally new, and if it's not Kerry Combs then it's going to be somebody totally new like to be like hey like where do we keep the markers to write on the whiteboard and Sean Wade will be like oh it's over there you know what I mean like <laughs> even like that's a stupid example but like there may be things where Sean Wade will be able to help a new coach in terms of like, well, this is how we've sort of done it. This is what we do. Not that other people couldn't tell him, but I think it's even bigger because Jeff Halfley's not back. I agree with you. He is going to have to move to the outside. I think that was probably one of the reasons that was probably even a conversation that was had with somebody. However, I think, and it, I agree that it isn't necessarily the reason why they make the playoff or not, but it can be the difference between whether you suffer one of those bad yeah. losses during the regular season or not. Like, just imagine if you have... This next year, Sean Wade, the next time you're playing a team that does what Rondo Moore was doing to him two years ago, and now you can maybe you pull him off the outside, put him back in the slot, and take that mm-hmm. guy away and change the complexion of a game like that. Yeah. From the 419, I remember you talking about Ohio State not being used to playing better and still losing. It sucks not winning, but at the end of the day, Ryan Day showed he deserves to be where he's at, and Ohio State is still clearly one of the top three to five programs in the country. I felt sick for three days. The girlfriend is still sore about it, but it's hard to be sad when we have our old friends up north to point and laugh at. That's like one of those things. It's like people would kill to be Ohio State. Man, I wish yeah. we could lose in the semifinal. From the 7-3-4, feeling like we let them off the hook. Clemson played like national champions. They needed breaks to beat Ohio State, but they didn't make mistakes that sealed their fate. The mistakes Ohio State made prevented them from closing the door on Clemson. I also think the second biggest break was the roughing call. That was running into... It was fourth and six. Yeah. Running into does not give him a first down. Roughing does... Is there? I guess there's some debate on that. I thought Cam whacked him pretty good. I don't know. Again, again it's just one of those things where it's if if you if you take the emotion out of it and you're just a person watching the game, you see it's close enough that it could go either way. Same with the overturn call. Same with just don't hit the punter. Like it's like yeah. just don't hit the punter. You you, it's one of those things. you don't hit <laughs> the ref. The yeah, don't right. hit the punter. Right. The ref has like, to make it that doesn't call. matter what the. Um, I'm not mad or upset from the 419. As a matter of fact, I'm even more proud as an alum on how they all handled the game. Classy, classy kids, which makes it even harder to take. I am so turned off by the whole thing that I haven't watched more than two quarters of a bowl game since. Yes, we needed to make plays to win, but still a bitter taste that Ohio State had to overcome poor officiating. Um, What did Clemson overcome? That's from Jason and the 419. From the 567, we're almost done here. I am at peace with it, but I think massive replay changes are needed. The officials on the field got the calls mostly correct. My idea, replay should be two officials, one on site and one off site. 
They cannot communicate. Both get 30 seconds, which is plenty of time to tell if something is indisputable. Both must be in agreement to change any call on the field. That's very interesting. That's like the two keys That's of the nuclear sub. Yeah. That like you got to have both keys to turn it. One person can't launch a nuclear war. <laughs> two have to agree. Because I... That's a very interesting thing. Let's just do this quick on Sean Wade. Do you think this leads to targeting call changes? I do. I, maybe. I, I, I guess I'd like to see, I think other people have maybe floated this, just like have it be like in basketball, a flagrant one, flagrant two situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it when it is a quarterback who's crouching down and ready to take the hit, we talked about this after the game, that's different than if you're getting crushed as a defenseless receiver. I think I, that alone would change the way people criticize this rule a lot. I think for rule changes in sports, it has to happen on a stage like this and it has to happen to a high-profile player. This matches both criteria. But I will say, as I said after the game, that anytime you're talking about head injuries, I'm skeptical that they're going to pull back on things that are meant to protect from head injuries. And it's one of those things, I mean, the the idea is to change behavior, right? Yeah. So it's like, I mean, a 15-yard penalty is a pretty big deal. And knowing that if you light up a guy in the secondary, a defenseless receiver, and you're going to come in and light him up, you're going to be kicked out. In but that if you scenario, make it a regular tackle and, and you lower your head, up. it's a 15-yard yeah. penalty, just like they, just like roughing the passer, right? I think there's a world where you can still change behavior yeah. with, but, but without kicking Sean White out of that game. In that scenario, it still puts points on the board for Clemson, most likely at the end of that drive, whereas they would have not had any. So the penalty still would have been huge in that scenario. Yeah, would have been. I mean, and again, but as we talked about after the game, they're throwing at Amir Reed yeah, and get a yeah, you know, yeah. pass yeah. against Right, but the it, loss of Sean Wade at least gives shows a field goal try is what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, yeah, it, it's probably three It's still points, punitive but that, like, that it turns from a sack into a first down. It's, a, it's everything that's involved with it is what makes it so but much But it's worse. not as doubly punitive. And I think right. everybody agrees, and we don't. you don't see it as much anymore, but the old days when a free safety would light up a receiver and would right. that would be his goal. Or like coming across the middle, like no receiver wanted to do it. I'm going to try to hurt this guy. Now, like now crossing routes are like... you get kicked out of the game for that. Yeah, crossing routes are like Brian Day's forte. I get that. 704, I live in North Carolina and went to Clemson undergrad in Ohio State for vet school. So I have a totally confused perspective. I thought we were watching the championship game. and It would have been a great game to watch if you didn't care who won. Neither team deserved to lose. I hope Clemson can go on to win the championship and prove that these were the two best teams in the country. I always liked Joe Burrow, and I'm happy for him, but obviously I won't be a fan of his on the 13th. Go Tigers and go Bucks from the 704. From the 202, it was painful, but very proud of what the team did. Not sure we see that much talent in one year again. John from the 202. We've sort of gone over that. That it's, again, Ohio State has a chance every year. It's you said like there were some peaks at some yeah. positions here from the 440 i feel the sec exacted their revenge on ohio state for beating bama in the sugar bowl oh. with the bs calls by the ref i feel ohio state has unfinished business next year how far will the defensive line fall off we'll talk about SEC that school. that is one of those like i'm all in on like the refs cost in the game i'm a hundred percent out obviously i'm like there was a conspiracy no. to cost them the game i think the refs just made some bad calls not because of what conference they worked for. From the 919, can't rewatch the game. Too many missed calls and opportunities. Um, okay. Let's finish with this. Um, those are our thoughts. I think we, do you think we buried it? We went long. Do you think we buried it? Does this, does this feel, do you, does this feel like maybe this was cathartic? I think it's buried, but I think it's a shallow grave. I think you it's still gonna, it's gonna linger. That's what it but I, And I think people will visit the grave. Yes. I mean, it's like you can bury something, but there's a headstone, and it says... It's the Tomb of the Unknown National Championship. (laughs) Tomb of the Unknown. I can't remember if it made my... uh, 
my running gamer, my running column after the game, I think it did, but I tried to coin the fourth and two Olave touchdown to put him ahead. Holy cacti instead of holy buckeye was like the big Purdue pass on fourth down where they went for it all. Holy cacti. Pearl of cactus. And it rhymes. Steven shaking his head. It's awful. I'm literally whispering <laughs> That's now. really bad. I'm, 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 I'm so calm. Okay, here's where we go. Let's make our predictions for the national championship game, which will be played before we podcast again. I'm not looking for scores or anything. I know nobody has really thought about it, but all we know is highlights of LSU or however much you watched LSU, and then and we watched Clemson for 60 minutes. I think LSU is going to win. I think Clemson is fine and good. I don't think their defense is great. I don't know. I think LSU's defense is playing better in the second half of the year. Just Travis Etienne is good, and T. Higgins and Justin Ross are good. I think Joe Burrow is going to set that Clemson defense on fire. And and not to the extent of whatever nine first-half touchdowns or whatever he did against Oklahoma, but I, I, I you know, Clemson's defense with a not 100% Justin Fields. Um, Injured receivers, Ohio State receivers who are not as good as LSU's receivers. Mm-hmm. A J.K. Dobbins who in the second half wasn't 100%. Like, you know, they did some good red zone stuff to slow down Ohio State, but Ohio State, for a lot of that game, moved the ball kind of at will. I don't think Clemson's going to stop LSU. I think Clemson will score, but I I think it's probably maybe a game in the 40s, but I think I have LSU by 10 to 14 points. I I think it's going to be tighter than that, but I'm going to take LSU as well. I think it could be a pretty good game. I think Ryan Day gave Brent Venables all types of work up until, like, a momentum play happened and everything flipped. And Joe Burrow is gonna be, and, and Joe Brady are about to do the exact same thing. And as long as there's no like momentum put like flip, like they'll be able to consistently do that the rest of the game. And I don't think they're gonna they'll capitalize on their opportunities with touchdowns in the ways that Ohio State did in the first half. I know I think Stephen a lot of the you've called Ohio State the best defense in the country. And I yeah. think there's a lot of things statistically that you can look at and make that case. I don't know in the end. I, I don't. I think clearly they're the best defense in the playoff. And I don't, I, they, that probably yeah. makes them the best defense in the country. There is as much as, I mean, like we would have had a great time covering this Joe Burrow, Ohio State thing. But also, I think Joe Burrow gets a break. Not a, you know, I mean, he makes his own breaks, but like he doesn't have to go out trying to face this Ohio State defense. No, he doesn't. I do not think, um, and I know the Alabama defense had a lot of injuries this year. I do not think the Clemson defense will be the best defense that he has faced this year. No, I, here's what I think will happen. I think there will be a couple of series maybe when they come out of halftime where like Brent is like Venables like does what like Clemson does. They come from all over the place. Maybe they get get to Joe Burrow a couple times, and then he figures it out. And then that will be the decide. And then that third series after a couple of series of what of like. Them getting to him a little bit, he fi- they figure it out, and then that's where they go win the game. And I do think there is a difference. Brent Venables was doing that against Ohio State against a quarterback who wasn't 100 percent healthy, and, and b a couldn't. quarterback who was in his first year as a starter. Yeah, Joe Burrow, as far as we know, is 100 percent healthy and is in his second year as a starter. And Justin Fields, I think, will be next year. Will will be able to make right even more adjustments. But even defense then, is even better. Like it cut. Like it, even then, it came down to like a wide receiver just 
misreading things. Yep, no, it, that's it, the thing. Even Justin Fields took them down the yeah, field. Because yeah, even then, if like Chris Olave does the right thing, Ohio State wins the game. And, and they, so like they were throwing some easy throws on yeah. the outside. He know yeah. he knew exactly where he wanted to go. Ryan Day and Justin Fields were exactly on the same page. They did a really good job. In you know, and it's like one of those things. Even like if that. That's the thing about the Olave route. Um, like through all, with everything else that happened, if Olave just doesn't think too much. Well, it's like, but so, so Chris Olave does that. The defender didn't follow him. No. That, that like, it's even like, it's not just that, okay, it's like, if that's incomplete, like, it's fine. It's like, oh, if Olave would have finished the route, it would have been a touchdown. Oh, well, second down. That it was picked. Like, yeah. that, like the defender I that was a really finished good. Chris, the route. Chris Olave was the only human being in that entire scenario who thought it was scramble drill. Right. And actually, I thought that was a really disciplined play by that DB because what else? What is he supposed to do if he keeps following Chris Olave? It takes him out of the play. He played that he play did, with discipline he, to be he, where he was supposed to but be. But he'd have been doing his job following his wide receiver. But he, but he would, but thing. if he knows he's breaking off that route. Not because that's where the route's going. I think yeah. that was a good read by the DB. And it, and it's just one of those, but it's like, that didn't have to be an interception, right? Oh. You know what I mean? Like, as much right. as, like, things broke down, but, like, things break down all the time. I mean, receivers and quarterbacks miscommunicate all the time. In this, it doesn't always turn into a pick. In this well, game, everything that could have gone wrong in the most drastic of ways <laughs> went wrong in the most drastic way. Like, the worst that could have happened is, like, a rough... Like, like the worst thing that could have happened was a targeting call. It could have just been a rough in the passer, and they, it's a right. penalty. It's a targeting call. He's out of here. Oh, okay. They, they call a, a fumble, but, like, they... It's, they call a fumble, but, like, maybe Jordan Fuller slips up, and so he doesn't get all the way to the end zone. Okay, Ohio State still has a ball in the red zone. No, it's not... It's, it's ruled as an incomplete pass, so you take points off the board. It could have been an incomplete pass. And so Ohio State has a, cause I think it was only what, second down when they threw that pass? I mean, how many times have we seen, how many times have we seen a a safety takes one step and it throws a play out? You know, that's what play action is. You get a safety to make one step. So if this guy makes one step to follow Chris Olave, maybe that's an incompletion out of the back of the end. Or even the DB does what they did the last two times. They just drops the pick. I mean, how often do you see guys drop wide open pick opportunities? And we're all writing about, we're all writing about, Blake Hobbiel's game-winning field goal. Oh, and, 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 and even... God, I, well, and even the idea... Well, they needed a touchdown. No, they needed a touchdown, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're it's right. like Justin Fields threw a perfect ball. It's like, what if like Justin Fields put it on right. the DB's right. hand? That is right. a touchdown. Like, it's like, oh, what if Justin Fields just like overthrows it? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's good. It's a good thing his pass wasn't very accurate because Chris Olave went the wrong way. It was like he threw a too accurate ball. Like, it, it really Like, they is. had to be perfect because if they weren't perfect, the worst thing was going to happen. And that's the funny thing about, not funny, but it's like of all, we just did two and a half hours on all the things. Right, the people, the plays, the calls, the schemes, all the things, and despite all that, if he finishes the route, it's Ohio a, State's probably a new play on Monday right now. Because, and as you said, it and it goes out with the play. That's almost like a a signature that's, that's play. Bread and butter for Chris Olave. Olave on that route against a safety. Fields throws that ball right on the money almost all the time. How often have we seen Olave get inside leverage on those guys? And when you don't have help over the top, like, you're dead. You're dead. Oh, okay. Poor Chris. Here's our plan, I think. Is this, is this all right? Like, so, so the next two weeks, we'll do defense one week, offense the other. And really, really... 
dive into depth chart, breakout guys, who they need to rely on, who they're going to miss the most, all this kind of stuff. We'll get questions from you guys about it, but we'll do offense one week, defense the other. Um, and then late signing day is going to be here three weeks down the line in February. I mean, it doesn't. there's not a million things on the line, but there's some extraneous stuff that can happen. They're seeing about Cam Martinez. Will they be able to reel him back into this class? Um if not Cam Martinez, is there somebody else they could go grab to help in the secondary? There's going to be, I know on the tech subscriber stuff, we've, we've been talking about the idea of maybe like a transfer portal running back. There was the Miami five-star guy mm-hmm. who had looked at Ohio State in recruiting, but he's already decided to go to Florida. Like, could there be somebody else? There's some DBs they're looking at. There's some, there's, this is that time of year where there's transfer portal opportunities. At the moment, again, on the updated, updated scholarship chart, we have them at 88 scholarships for next year that's with jake seibert as a walk-on in the fall as the backup kicker which is the plan for him to be not on scholarship in the fall so that's already not counting him that's at 88 that's not counting cam martinez so if they would sign him that would be to 89 that is counting cj saunders and justin hilliard as being in six years on scholarship and we don't know a hundred percent about all of that, they're getting approvals for, like, Hilliard has the 60-year approval. I think Saunders might have it or is trying to get it. We don't know exactly if that means 100% they're going to be on scholarship, but they have, they're going to lose a couple guys here. They have to lose at least one, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four of having guys currently on the roster transfer. And again, that would be normal. Keandre Jones was a guy a year ago. You can go through and find your own guys, the guys who haven't played. But again, the other thing is they already lost a couple guys. Brendan White and Isaiah Pryor are already gone, or they'd be at 91. Um, we'll talk about this in the defensive thing. It wound up being very interesting, I thought, with Josh Proctor's role in this game as a young guy with talent who hadn't played that much in a world where two veteran safeties who had played a ton more than Josh Proctor yeah. were no longer on the roster. And there were at least two or three plays where it felt like young safety in no man's land. Mm-hmm. So a 64 yard run costing them. Um, and Josh Proctor is going to have a lot on his plate next year, but I think we can go back on that a little bit of yeah. how Ohio State handled all that stuff. We talked a lot on this podcast about the idea of playing two safeties, getting Josh Proctor on the field. That's great. And then it felt like in the moment, it's like, oh, this is what happens when you put a guy who just has not played that much in very important situations. And it's, he could have done a better job on some things, but it's not only on him. Why didn't you do a better job? Part of it is, why are you in this situation? And one of the reasons is because they had two other guys that they kind of said, well, we don't have a use for you anymore. And Brendan White and Isaiah Pryor said, okay, we're out of here. So for Nathan and Steven, we appreciate you guys uh, subscribing to the text. We appreciate you guys listening to Buckeye Talk. Make sure you keep reading cleveland.com slash OSU for continuing coverage of this team. Um, but for now, that was our... Buckeye Talk Burial Edition. Thanks to Kevin from the Funeral Home uh, for the idea. Um, Thanks to you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.